Greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the Best Damn Move Related Show on the Planet Earth, the John Campion Show, coming to you from right here on my YouTube channel. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our absolute favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, streaming, TV, all sorts of good stuff. And joining us here on this glorious day is the glorious one himself, the one and the only Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, how are you doing today, sir? Well, it's another glorious day in the core. <laughs> That's what I like to say. Every meal's a banquet. Every lineup a parade. I love the core. It's always a good day to do a little quoting of aliens. I like uh, that. Sar- That's-, That's Sergeant Apone. That's Sergeant Apone. Um, hey, listen, guys. Thank you for being here today and spending some of your time here. We have a bunch of things that we need to talk about. We're awfully glad that you chose to spend some of your day here with us. Uh, But listen, before we get into it, a little bit of house cleaning. First of all, guys, if you haven't done so already or if you're new around here, why don't you take a second and click on that subscribe button, become a subscriber to our YouTube channel. It'll keep you up to date on all the great stuff that we've got going on around here. Speaking of good stuff, guys. In case you can't be in front of a, you know, a YouTube video, maybe you're commuting, maybe you're uh, you're working out or whatever, and you want to listen to the show, good news, there is the John Campia Show podcast version, the audio-only version of the show that you can go and find on your favorite podcasting app of choice. Just go on over there, subscribe to it, so the audio-only version is there when you need it. Also, guys... Uh, plug, plug, plug time of the day, uh, as for whatever reason, I brought up the subscribe thing again, plug, plug, plug thing of the day again. Uh, I want to remind you guys that, you know, we have spent a, a year working on a passion project, a documentary about movie trailers. The movie is now done. It is out. It is available worldwide, wherever you live. It's called Movie Trailers, A Love Story. And you can watch it whichever country you live in simply by going to vimeo.com slash on demand slash movie trailers. Now, if you happen to live in the U.S. or the U.K., there is also an option for you to watch it on Amazon. And you can just go to Amazon and search for Movie Trailers, A Love Story, and you should be able to find it. And listen, if you are going to Amazon to to view it or if you viewed it on Amazon already, you know, Amazon says that only one to three percent of people actually leave feedback and leave, you know, ratings and leave reviews. Um, so if you guys have done so, can you please leave a rating and review on the movie? That would be great. And a, a big thank you to all you guys who have been leaving reviews and everything. Thank you so much uh, for checking out the movie. And uh, thank you for making our movie a part of your lives. That's a very special thing. So thank you so much for that, guys. All right, guys, listen, we do have a number of things to get through here today. So before we get into our main topics, let's start off with one off the top. And that is this. One of my favorite character actors that I never think about until his name comes up. And then I just realize, God, how I love this guy is a guy is an actor by the name of Clancy Brown. I love Clancy Brown. Clancy Brown uh, is one of the few people who stars in not one, but two of my top 10 all-time <laughs> favorite movies. He is, of course, the Kurgan in The Highlander with uh, Christopher Lambert and Sean Connery. And he, of course, is the guard in Shawshank Redemption. On top of that, the career Clancy Brown has put together both on screen physically, the long list of animation that he has lent his iconic voice to. The dude's incredible. Now, why do we bring up Clancy Brown? Well, one of the pieces of news that's come out the last little while is the fact that one of my favorite shows ever, Dexter, 
they announced it is coming back. They're going to do a limited one more season. They're going to do one more season, limited series that takes place eight years after the conclusion of the first Dexter. Now, the finale of Dexter left a lot of people wanting, if you will. Like it wasn't the finale of Dexter was not great, but the show itself was fantastic. We know they're coming back. Well, it has been announced that Clancy Brown is coming and he's going to be the main antagonist of this final season of Dexter, which I couldn't be more thrilled about. And listen, they even, they, what they tell us about the character is pretty good. He's going to be playing this character called Kurt. And the way they describe Kurt uh, is like this. This is really great. He says, Kurt is a former big rig driver and now owner of several truck and local tr- and a lo- tr- several trucks and a local truck sh- stop. A man of the people. He is loved by everyone in town. If he's got your back, consider yourself blessed. Should anyone cross him or hurt someone he loves, however, God help them. I am so excited. I, I cannot even believe to tell you, Rob, how stoked I was to hear from, you know, I've been excited about Dexter coming back anyway. I mean, it, it, I love the fact that they're going to get another shot to end this series properly. Not many shows get this opportunity, but now that they're adding Clancy Brown in there, it just, it makes my heart smile, Rob. It makes my heart smile. I'm so thrilled to hear this. You heard about this news. What's your take on this? Well, like you, I am a huge Clancy Brown fan. When, Of course, when he played the Kurgan, when he did the voice of Lex Luthor, when he played the toughest screw who ever walked the halls of Shawshank Prison. I mean, I am a huge Clancy Brown fan. And SpongeBob. Don't forget SpongeBob. I, I have to tell you, the first time I became aware of Clancy Brown was in a movie called Bad Boys. No, not that one. The one that Rick Rosenthal directed, the prison movie that starred Esai Morales and Sean Penn. Clancy Brown was another uh, – he was in the boys' prison, and he was basically played a, a villain. And he was great then. This movie, I think, came out in 81. Ali Sheedy was in it, 81, 82. And it's, it's, it's a great teens in prison movie, and he kicked ass in that. So I've been a fan of his for a very, very long time. And honestly, I don't think that he works enough. I think Clancy Brown should be in every movie, John. And the fact that he's going to be in this season of, I mean, he's such a great presence. He has such a great voice. Oh, dude, him, Jeremy Irons, uh, Jeffrey Wright. Yeah, he's he's up there as like one of the best voices in the business. Absolutely. You know, I just watched uh, who played Lex Luthor in Smallville. Who's got the podcast? Michael Rosenbaum. Michael Rosenbaum has this great uh, YouTube channel. And he recently had Clancy Brown talking about how he got the job playing the Kurgan in Highlander. There's a clip from it. You should watch it. And just listening to him talk, I just want Clancy Brown to be my friend. (laughs) I mean, he's the kind of guy I think you could just never stop talking to. I mean, he just, I've never met him, but man, let me tell you, what a guy. I can't wait. I was, cannot wait. I was privileged enough to meet him uh, one time. It was, and I can't even remember which movie it was for. It was the red carpet of a movie premiere. And I met him and I just turned into a, now I, I normally meet a lot of these people. So it's like, Hey, yeah, pleasure to meet you, man. Big fan or whatever. Uh, everybody knows that weird Al Yankovic is the one celebrity I've never had the courage to approach and talk to. That's so I, crazy. I know it's so weird. But when I had got to meet Clancy Brown, who is a big man, by the way, <laughs> he's a big man. When I got to meet Clancy Brown, I just turned into a driveling fanboy. I say, like, oh, it's Shawshank, and, oh, Highlander, and just Kurgan, and say, can you say it's better to burn out than to fade away? Can you say that for me, please? Um, it, it's it, he's just 
so good. He brings so much charisma and so much power to the screen in that voice. And by the way, Chris Hunt sent in a super chat in the uh, a super chat badge on the live chat. Thank you for that, Chris. Appreciate that. Um, seriously, I couldn't be happier. I'm super thrilled. He should be in every single movie. Anyway, guys, <laughs> you hear about this. What do you think about the addition of Clancy Brown to the final season of Dexter that they're going to do? I, I, I was already excited about it. My enthusiasm just went up about 10 times. What do you guys think? Jump down into the comment section below. And let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's get into our main topics today, shall we? And how do we select our main topics here in the John Campia Show? It's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them. Whenever you come across a big topic or story that you think should be a main topic here on the show, just head on over anytime 24-7 to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. That down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Imran Islam, who writes... Variety has reported that DC Films president Walter Hamada has re-upped his deal with Warner Brothers and will serve as DC Films president until at least the end of 2023. Personally, I think since he's come on board, he's done wonders for the DCEU. The report also went on to say that because of Ray Fisher's public dispute with Hamada, his tenure as the DCU as cyborg is now over. What are your thoughts? Okay, thanks a lot for writing that in, man. And uh, listen, we're gonna we're gonna save the the Ray Fisher part of this story for the next topic because that will be the next topic we talk about. But for now, let's let's focus on the Walter Hamada part here. You know, ever since the day they brought in Walter Hamada on, uh, into Warner Brothers, there was a transformation that happened there. There was a transformation that happened there. And it was a positive transformation. Everybody has very, very short memories. But let's go back just a couple of years ago. You know, the, the DCU was in a bit of a mess they had made films that I liked, particularly Man of Steel. I like Batman versus Superman, things like that. But the reality was their films were underperforming. Half the audiences hated them. Half the critics hated them. And it it was getting to be kind of messy. There was a lot of talk, including on this show, about maybe they should just reboot and all this kind of stuff. Walter Hamada came in. They made a change. And he first said, we're going to change focus. We're going to you know, we're going to focus more on making individual good films first. We're going to reestablish our grounding. And in that time, you know, we've had the first billion dollar DCEU film in Aquaman. That was, I quite enjoyed. Rob, you and I saw that one together. I still remember you and I came out of the AMC Universal City Walk. We saw that and and we had just had such a good time. You liked it even more than I did, if yeah, I remember. I I couldn't believe just how I felt like I was watching my favorite movie if I was an eight-year-old. Yeah, I mean, I it mean, just it, it, I just couldn't believe how they embraced the fantasy of it all, and I that was the thing that I responded to most. I'm like, I can't believe I'm seeing this. Right. And I I loved it all. I loved it all. Look, was it like the Snyder verse Aquaman? Uh, no, but it was something that was new, and something I couldn't believe I was watching, and I had a great time. Yeah, and so. You had you now had DC with a billion dollar film under its belt. 
I loved Shazam. I thought it didn't have the same financial windfall that Aquaman did, but Shazam was charming and funny and entertaining. And it was just a big win. The critics enjoyed it. The audiences enjoyed all that kind of stuff. You know, with that focus on standalone films, we had a Joker movie come out that won Academy Awards and was another billion-dollar film. Now, listen, under Hamada, they've also had, you know, the fabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn, which I didn't like too much. And we also just had Wonder Woman 84, which to me was a bit of disappointment. But the fact is they are in a healthier place right now than they've been. And as a result, the bigwigs over Warner Brothers have re-upped. And he's going to be there for another three years. This is what we get from the good folks over at Variety who writes, Walter Hamada has signed a multi-year deal extension to remain president of DC Films Insiders Tell Variety. The extension is through 2023. One individual familiar with the talks noted. The studio is announcing the deal imminently. So I expect we're going to see an official announcement coming from uh, coming from Warner Brothers anytime now. Hamada will continue to report to Warner Brothers Pictures Group Chairman Toby Emmerich. No surprise there. The label is responsible for bringing all of DC superheroes canon to screens and streaming. He is... Your big kahuna when it comes to the DC world. He is in charge of everything that's going to be on movie screens, of everything that's going to be on HBO Max, streaming, all that kind of stuff when it comes to the DC universes. This is the thing. And he's just getting started. We we have seen part one of his plan. And I think for the most part, it has been effective. It has worked. A couple of stumbles, absolutely. But they're just getting started. And so for me, Rob, when you look at Warner Brothers, one of the things that a lot of the people on the outside observing Warner Brothers, particularly when it comes to their DC universe, has been it's been chaotic for a long time, right? A lot of changes always happening. They've been very reactionary. This person's in that position. All of a sudden, there's somebody else, blah, blah, blah. For them to bring in a Walter Hamada, who's been there now for a bit, they've had some success, and now they're saying, you know what? We are bringing consistency now to what we're doing. We are stabilizing what we are and what we're doing. And listen, they may be make more mistakes in the future, but I think extending Walter Hamada at this point was the smart thing to do. I think this is a good move. Rob, you heard about this. What's your take on the extension of Walter Hamada there? I think it's absolutely a good move. I, I have to tell you, you know, watching him, I, he spoke at the first big DC fandom event. Yeah. And really, really smart guy. And um, I really like what he had to say. He 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 was exactly he seemed to me to be the exact kind of studio executive that you want in charge of these beloved franchise properties. He seemed thoughtful. Uh, he really knew his stuff. And um, uh, I I think DC is in good hands. The proof's in the pudding. I mean, who would have thought Joker would have made a hundred a billion dollars? Who would have thought that that movie would have done what it did? Well, Walter Armada probably did. And uh, same with Aquaman. And Shazam. So yeah. I think proof's in the pudding. Here's the funny thing about Hamada with Joker. Hamada himself talked about how he he wasn't really big on the idea of doing Joker. He didn't really quite get it about like whether or not it would work. But at the end of the day, he did want some standalone stuff. He wanted to experiment with making things outside of regular universe things, which Joker was, it was an Elseworlds thing. And he wanted, it was right in line with his philosophy. He wanted them to do strong standalone films. And so even though, you know, he didn't get it, he says in his own words, I didn't get it. He didn't get what they were going for in Joker, but he knew it was the type of film that they wanted to focus on. Greenlit it anyway. That is bold leadership. When you, when you look at it and go, you know what? 
I'm not even sure I get what you're trying to do, and I'm not totally sure this will work, but it is in line with the philosophy that I think we need right now. Go ahead. And and the, and they reaped it, man. They absolutely reaped it. So it's going to be, and listen, we don't know what's going to happen. Maybe the next three years of DC will be complete, utter disaster. Maybe it'll be a glorious era for them. We don't know. Time will tell. But for now, I think this was a smart move. Question is, guys, what do you think about them extending Walter Hamada there over at DC? Maybe you think this is a good move. Maybe you think this is a bad move. Does it make you hopeful? Does it make you anxious? What are your thoughts right now? Jump into the comments section below and leave your opinions there. All right, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Jackson DePaul, who writes... Hey, up dog, gotta love what we do in the shadows. Well, the hey, up dog, what's up dog? Not not much, what's up with you? Uh, that joke actually precedes what we do in the shadows, but it's a good one nonetheless. Anyway, always like a what we do in the shadows reference here on the John Campus Show. So following up on that Ray Fisher tweet where he said he wouldn't work on any DC film if Walter Hamada was involved, yeah, I guess he's out for good then because I just saw Hamada signed a big contract extension with Warner, and now the word is that Fisher and Cyborg are completely out of the Flash movie too. Last I heard, Fisher was negotiating to appear in the film, and now it looks like that's officially over. What do you think? Was Cyborg never in it, or did Ray lose his job over his tweeting? All right, thanks a lot for writing that in, man. And uh, yeah, listen, the Ray Fisher... Uh, stuff has been, yeah, it's been a merry-go-round, really. It has. It's it's been a circus ride lately, you know, with with everything that's been happening. And you know, let me just say what I always say whenever the Ray Fisher issue comes up. I don't know what actually happened, and neither do you. No matter how strongly you may feel one way or the other, the reality is you don't know what happened because you weren't there, and I don't know what happened because I wasn't there. So I don't have like what you would call strong feelings or opinions on the matter one way or the other because I wasn't there. Now, I, like any other fan, can see what is playing out in front of me and, you know, come to my own beliefs about it. But what we believe is different from what we know. So let's just be clear about that. What we believe is very, very different from what we know. And what we believe often changes when we're presented with new facts and new evidence. That's what rational people do. We change what we believe in the light of new evidence and whatever. So the Ray Fisher thing, for those of you who might be uh, unaware, uh, there was the big kerfuffle that came up when he came out and made accusations about uh, Jeff Johns, uh, Joss Whedon, John, it was John Berg, I think was the other one. Uh, and then turned his guns on Walter Hamada. Walter Hamada, who, by the way, was not involved with uh, DC or or this, their president in any capacity when Justice League was actually made. He, he wasn't a part of that. But for whatever reason, he's turned his guns on Walter Hamada. He recently said publicly that he will never work on any movie that Walter Hamada is involved in. And then, as we just covered... Warner Brothers kind of came out and said, well, that's, that's nice. We just extended Walter Hamada. Now, there were talks going around that um, that Ray Fisher was going to be involved. There were talks, there was reports about this, that he was going to be involved in the Flash movie. Whether those reports were true, frankly, I don't know. 
I believed the reports. I believed uh, that Ray Fisher was in talks to appear in the Flash movie. I believe that, but honestly, I don't know if that's actually the case. So we'll just say that. But yeah, now, especially with the Walter Hamada extension, it's pretty clear Ray Fisher will not be there. Now, on top of all that, there's also been some reporting that not only is Ray Fisher out, but there are some rumors going around that right now Warner Brothers is looking to recast the role of uh, Cyborg and recast it and replace Ray Fisher with another actor. However, uh, film journalist uh, veteran Mark Hughes uh, took to Twitter the other day. He's worked with a lot of the, the the big outlets and stuff like that. And Mark Hughes wrote the following. The rumors of Cyborg recasting are a lie. Cyborg is not in the flash and the role is not being recast. I've confirmed this with the studio. The rumor is false. So either way, whichever way we want to cut it and whatever way we want to look at it, it looks like Ray Fisher, whether he ever was going to be in the flash or not, Ray Fisher's out of the flash. And he's not going to be there. And of course, this is really no big surprise considering his words and now the actions of Warner Brothers saying that Walter Hamada is there. The question becomes, how big of a distraction will this be to the rest of the DCU, particularly that we still have Snyder Cut miniseries coming to HBO Max. So that's still coming. And this could become quite a distraction to everything there. Now, Rob, one of the things I said on, on uh, you know, I, I don't like to address the Ray Fisher situation much because I don't like the TMZ garbage. But when it starts to actually impact the movies that we see <clears throat> or yeah. don't see and who will or won't be in there it becomes an issue. So on one of the open mic uh, or not open mic, one of the uh, companion videos I did this weekend, somebody wrote in and asked about the Ray Fisher thing. And all, all I can say about the Ray Fisher thing is this. What I always say is, I wasn't there. If these unspecified and unidentified bad things that Ray Fisher says were done to him, which he's never actually said what they were. He's just said bad things were done, but he's never specified what they were. If, the, if those accusations are true, then fuck everybody involved who did those things to him. Uh, that's simple. If they were not, if it's not true, then things are playing out the way they should play out. So I simply don't know. I, I have always said this, and I still say this. It makes me, informing what I believe, not know, but believe about the subject, it's always left me very skeptical about the fact that Ray Fisher has been so adamant about coming out and throwing everybody under the bus and never once being specific about what it is he's claiming was done to him. Like, I, that's the part, and, and I... I, I Compared it to this, Rob, imagine somebody bringing a soapbox out onto the street, standing up on the middle of the street and pointed at a guy named Dan and said, hey, everybody, Dan, Dan's a jerk. Dan's a big idiot. He's done terrible things to me. Dan's an idiot. And then everybody else on the street is like, really? Wow. 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 Dan did that. Well, well what what did he do to you that that makes him such an idiot with these mean things he did? Well, I'm not going to tell you that, but take my word for it. He's a big idiot. Okay, you you want us to believe he's an idiot. All right, but can can you tell us why? Nope, just take my word for it. And that's that's kind of been the situation. And it it again leaves me in a position of why did you bring this pub this fight public? You know, why did you make this a public issue? Like if you feel the need to make it a public issue cuz nobody else is hearing you, 
then when you come public with it, be specific. Tell us, like you want us to believe that, you know, Berg and Whedon and, and Hamada now, and whatever, were just terrible to you. Okay, what did they do that was terrible? Let us decide. And the fact that he's never done that has always kind of felt off to me. But again, that doesn't change the fact that I don't actually know what happened because I wasn't there. Anyway, Rob, a couple of questions here. Number one, do you think that Cyborg and Ray Fisher ever were a part of the Flash thing? Like, I believe they were because I believe the reports, but maybe he wasn't. Do you think he was ever actually a part of it? And with the Walter Hamada extension, do you think it was inevitable that we were now not going to see him? How do you see this? Well, I mean, <laughs> there's been so many iterations of of the Flash project, um, all of these things. So I think for sure there probably was multiple scripts that Cyborg was a part of. Um, I know he's a favorite character of mine, and I would like to see cyborg on screen i was very disappointed in the limited screen time cyborg had in justice league um that said i you know i think we are living in a dangerous time when we need to get back to preserving the truth and the idea that you're innocent until proven guilty and i, I can't help but feel that social media has been turned into what I used to see when we were studying McCarthyism and the Red Scare during the 50s, where all you have to do on social media is say one thing, one one hint of if you throw the hint of impropriety uh, some direction, and if you have any kind of people behind you, they'll go after a person now, regardless of the truth. And I think the truth is something that is really rapidly becoming a casualty of our modern age, and yet our entire civilization is based on the truth of, say, science, and the truth our legal system is based on the idea of innocent until proven guilty. And when you start accusing people of things, and I don't care who it is, um, and then not backing up those accusations, that's a very dangerous thing to do. And, you know, what Ray Fisher, there's there's a lot of things that have happened on movie sets, such as we've had people, there was the 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 independent film that was made where a woman died on the bridge where a train was there because people aren't taking proper safety precautions. And when you're accusing people of doing things in an environment like filmmaking, you really need to back that kind of stuff up. And I, I, as somebody who has produced films myself, if there was impropriety happening on a set that I was working on, I'd want to know immediately right away and nip that in the bud as soon as it happened, because that's toxic for everybody working on a film set, not just the person that it's happening to, because the entire crew feels it. So these, I am, I am an advocate of anyone that is being wronged, but if you're going to accuse people, you need to have evidence. You need to have, uh, maybe people to back you up witness statements. And I don't think maybe bringing this up in a public forum is the best way to do it. Yeah, it it that's that's the part to me about the taking it public thing. Like I listen, I I've I've never sugarcoated this. I believe taking uh, your 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 private fight public is cowardly. Unless there, like again, yeah. there were there was no other option. Nothing you really truly believe in your in your convictions about it, and nothing else is happening, and nothing is being done. Then, if you need to, you take it public. 
But if you do, you got to be some specifics. And this is a bad situation now because it's bad for everybody. It's bad for Warner Brothers. It's bad for Ray Fisher. It's it's created a bit of a mess. And all I can do now is hope that if if Ray Fisher was really wronged here, and and I then I wish he would be specific and tell us what how it is he was wrong. But if he was wronged. I really hope his career is able to rebound from this because, you know, he came, he comes from a Broadway background. He clearly has the pedigree to mm-hmm. be, to be somebody dynamic, to be somebody really good. If you can carry yourself on a stage, you can carry yourself on a screen. I believe that. Um, uh, otherwise it's, it's a tough situation because here's what he faces now. If you're a producer or a studio would you work with Ray Fisher after this? Because now a lot of studios and producers are going to be asking themselves, what if Ray and I have a disagreement about something? If he doesn't like how it turns out, is he going to start jumping on Twitter and tweeting out to millions of people that I'm an asshole and that we suck and blah, blah, blah. And I can't, can I trust that Ray Fisher will keep our conversations behind closed doors? Will all this kind of, I mean, I don't know. So I hope that if he is right, that his career can rebound from this and somehow, some way, he gets some catharsis from this. If not, I think he's put himself into a very tough position. But 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 honestly, Rob, I, I don't know. What what do you see happens moving forward here now for Ray Fisher? Like a guy with a lot of talent, a guy with a lot of promise. What do you see happens from here on out? Well, I mean, I hope talent wins out. I I liked him as Cyborg. I wish I wanted to see a lot more of him. But, you know, again, this is a, a, a business where where a lot of it is social. You know, uh, people in Hollywood like to work with people that they can trust to get the job done and also they can trust to be, well, easy to work with because, you know, when you're on a set 12 hours a day, five or six days a week, it is a, it's a place where look what happened with Shia LaBeouf, you know, a no assholes allowed policy with Olivia Wilde. And that's true of anybody, not just actors. It's true of anybody on a crew, you know, a, uh, any toxicity on a film set is incredibly detrimental to the production of a film. And, you know, going after a studio head was Walter Hamada in, in a position of power when Justice League was even being made. And it's, I don't know the answer to that, but I think when it comes down to it, you know, you have to, you have to generate trust. And the way to do that is to make sure that your coworkers and people that work with you know that you're trustworthy, that you're good at what you do and that you're easy to work with. And I think ultimately, if that's the case, you will work again. But when you start, you know, attacking the power structure of Hollywood, not necessarily the best way to get more work. Yeah. Yeah. Again, all I all I can really say at this is that, again, bottom line, but it bears repeating hundreds of times. uh, We don't know. We weren't there. And if if Ray Fisher was legitimately wronged, I hope that his career finds a way to get back on track after this. And I hope that somehow, some way uh, he finds what it is he needs and gets it. And if not, then, then the situation is playing out the way it is, but it's tough, Rob, you know, we pundits, what many pundits do, because what we pundits are often pressured to do. We are often asked, give a hard line stance on this issue, even when there really isn't one to be taken. Like people, like I've got an email from people who want me to come out and just crush Ray Fisher and blast him for everything he's doing. I've got people writing me saying you should get behind Ray Fisher and support him, but I can't do either. 
All I can tell you is, listen, right. I, I I wasn't there, so I don't know what the actual truth is. I can tell you what my opinion is based on the little things I've seen, the few things I've seen, and I've given my opinion, but that has to be given with the asterisks and the grain of salt that at the end of the day, I don't know what, what happened because I wasn't there. But, but but I think, I, I don't know, Rob, what do you think? Well, also, we don't, I'm waiting to hear what exactly happened. Was this, was this misconduct? Was it hurt feelings? I, I have no idea what was supposed to have occurred. Like, what did Joss Whedon do exactly? I also respect the fact that Joss Whedon was in an impossible situation. And people could say, well, they probably bank, bro, uh, backed up a Brinks truck to him. But he was still under unbelievable strain and unbelievable pressure. And I just – I don't know what happened. I haven't heard what happened. I It's hard for me to even make – have an opinion on it. I mean, Ray Fisher obviously feels wronged and I wouldn't take that away from him because he feels wrong for a reason. I just don't understand what is happening here. So it's really, I can't make a, I have no opinion about it because I just don't know the answers. I don't know. I don't know enough about the whole situation. Right. So ultimately guys, question is, what do you think about this? Uh, do you think maybe, Hey, look, maybe this is a much ado about nothing. Maybe cyborg was never actually going to be a part of the flashpoint movie. It, it the reports say that he was, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. Do you think it was inevitable that he wasn't going to be a part of it after the tweets he put out saying he was never going to work on anything Walter Hamada does? What do you guys think about this? Jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, Let's move on to main topic number three, shall we? And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Brian Harris. And Brian Harris writes the following. Hey, John and Rob, thank you for the excellent daily content through this stupid pandemic. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Brian, through it. I know you've been saying for a while that Warner Brothers won't be doing any more Zack Snyder stuff after the Snyder Cut is done, even though a lot of rumors and fans have been insisting there will be. Well, to be clear, I haven't been saying there wouldn't be. I've been saying that the studio's been saying there wouldn't be. That's all. Anyway, just read on IGN that Snyder is now confirming that after Snyder Cut, he is done and that DC has gone in a new direction. What are your thoughts on this? All right, man. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yeah... Uh, there's been a lot of talk ever since, you know, HBO max confirmed that they would be broadcasting. Well, putting up a bunch of money to actually finish and make the Snyder cut, um, to then actually, after the broadcast was coming out, they were going to air it, all that kind of stuff. There's been a lot of speculation and rumors about, you know, well, they're going to now continue on with the quote unquote Snyderverse. They're going to Zack Snyder's back. Zack Snyder is back now. He is going to be doing DCU uh, movies now moving forward. They're going to do his sequel to Justice League now and blah, blah. And, and of course, last week we heard in that report from the New York Times, Rob, that they said they once again clarified, Warner Brothers clarified again, the Justice League miniseries is a one-off. They called it a cul-de-sac. It's a dead-end street. It's not going to go anywhere. It is a one-time thing. Uh, that they're making for their own particular reasons. A lot of people didn't believe that, but now Zack Snyder himself is coming out and confirming that. Uh, this is what Snyder said. Uh, he said the following. He says, the DC universe has gone and branched off and has done its own thing, and that's fine. Uh, so he's confirming that the DC universe is moving in a different direction away from what his vision was. He continued. 
as far as what I did and as far as what my vision for what I wanted to do with these characters and the journey, I wanted them to go on. It's well known that I planned on more movies, five movies or something, but I'm busy. I've got a lot going on. It's cool that the fans have so much faith in the trajectory. Yes, it's amazing. And I couldn't be happier. And I'm excited for them to see Justice League. So they can really drink the entire elixir of Justice League. But would I continue? I have no plans to. Uh, So basically, he opens his remarks by saying, acknowledging DC has now gone off in a new direction and that he has no plans to continue this. uh, And it seems to be done. That really should be the end of it. I, I think that really does put this, puts a pin in it, that the the Snyder Cut miniseries is exactly what we always said it was going to be. It is something, it's, it's, a, it's a stone that kills two birds, Rob. It, number one, it gets a lot of people who have been wanting to see this, something to look forward to. And for HBO Max, a service that is woefully dragging far behind Netflix and Disney Plus and things like that. It gives them something to generate some conversation around Netflix or around uh, around HBO Max. A lot of conversation, as a matter of fact. But this was never going to be anything else other than this. And the only reason we say that is because that's really what Warner Brothers always indicated. This miniseries, this Snyder Cut, was never going to be anything more than this. And and you know what? I think fans who have been looking forward to it need to be happy with that. Because before HBO Max came along, you know, the head of Warner Brothers said, the Snyder Cut doesn't exist. It does not exist until we put in this money and let get Zach to allow him to finish it. There was his edit of the film, but there was no finished Snyder Cut anywhere. They brought it into being. They, they gave the what, what did we end up on? Like $70 million or something? I think it was around $70 million. They, yeah. they ponied up the $70 million so we could complete the film, complete the, they broke it into four parts, which I still think was a good idea. I still think, because if you, listen, Rob, if you're Warner Brothers and you're HBO Max and you're doing this to get some benefit out of it, you don't just want a one day event. You want to drag this out over a month. You want to have four episodes of this. That is a brilliant idea. And I think that's going to be good for the Snyder Cut. And I think it's going to be good for HBO Max because for Snyder Cut, if it's good, you know, people are going to watch the first episode, get hyped about it, build energy for the next episode, get hyped about it more, build more energy for the next episode, much like what they did with Mandalorian over at Disney+. Plus. But um, again, this is really no surprise. I think it's catching some people very much by surprise, but it's no surprise. But I still think people need to take this as a win. You know, before HBO Max, Deborah Snyder said herself, before HBO Max, this was never going to see the screen. There was no reality where this new version of Justice League was ever going to see the light of day. But now it's here. They're getting it. They may not get anything more after it, but hey, you're still getting this thing, which was never a possibility before HBO Max. And I think that's a win, and I think people should take it as such. At any rate, Rob, you've seen this report. You've heard Zack Snyder's comments now. Uh, what do you make of them? Where do you think things are actually standing at right now? Well, I mean, we talked about Joker. We talked about Aquaman. These are movies that made a billion dollars, and they were not part of the Snyderverse. The Snyderverse has yet to have that kind of success. And I think that, I mean, you know, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice did not make a billion dollars, but Joker did. And I think where we're, like you just said, having this 
four hour cut of Zack Snyder's old episodic version of Snyder's Justice League. This is an epic win. You know, uh, until you and I had said on the show that there, first of all, we were proven correct. There was never a Snyder cut. There was a work in progress, like with any movie that is not finished. And that that was where we were at. And the fact that that I had always said, well, you can't have a Snyder cut of anything until someone's going to pay for it. And everyone's like, no, it's just a couple of million dollars people need. But nobody really understands film production who isn't in film production. And we were saying no. And I even said a year ago when HBO Max, actually over a year ago, when HBO Max is around, I said, you know what? They could pay for it. And now HBO Max, and they didn't expect to pay as much as they've had to pay. But they're getting something, if you think about it, whether I think they probably are going to end up poning up 100 grand or 100 million when all is said and done. But if you think about it, 100 million dollars is almost like getting four 25 million dollar features. It's pretty unique in the annals of entertainment history. And I think what they're doing, first of all, I can't wait to see it. Second of all, I think it is an epic win. And third, we should look at it as something that has never happened before in entertainment history. And it's because of the devoted fan base that clamored for it. If there was no Snyder Cut fan base, nobody would have known. You know, they kept the flame burning. There were charity events. They put on things in New York and at San Diego. And it really is something that the fans and the people that wanted this thing to happen can really take to heart that, wow, fan engagement willed this thing into existence, a new streaming service, HBO Max, ponied up. They came up and said, let's do this thing. Zack Snyder, who could have been bitter and said, everyone go F yourselves, he decided to come back and was given carte blanche to make this thing. I think this is a huge celebratory moment. And if it's the last, we should still look at it as a gift. This is an amazing thing all the way around. Everybody has won from this. And now people are like, well, is the Snyderverse going to go forward? You know what? Who cares? What you got was an epic win, an epic win that should be celebrated by everyone. And let's hope it's good. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, look, I, I, it, there's, there's a foregone conclusion here, which is this. Uh, there are going to be some people like you and I who have liked all of Zack Snyder's DC yeah. movies so far, particularly Man of Steel. Uh, but I think what is a foregone conclusion is there are people out there who just straight up hate Zack Snyder. And no matter how good the Justice League miniseries is, they're going to say it's terrible. Yeah. There are also people out there who are going to be diehard Zack Snyder supporters that no matter how bad the Justice League miniseries is, they're going to say it's awesome. At the end of the day, all I care about really is if I like it. That's all. That's all I care about. Well, Can that's you, all that matters. That's all that matters. Can you deliver me something that gives me an experience like an unto Batman versus Superman? Can you deliver an? Ex I don't expect him to give me another Man of Steel. That's that's high. That's high goals. But if you can deliver me another Man of Steel, that's all I care about. That's all. That's all that matters. But I'll tell you. Here's the part that nobody is talking about, Rob, which is this is a. I believe this is a good move for Zack Snyder to to finish up. Uh, with the DC stuff and move on. Zack Snyder was not considered a divisive director. Not that everybody loved every movie he put out, but he was not, his, his the mention of Zack Snyder's name did not elicit an instant division amongst people. Before DC, 
he was a celebrated didn't like I didn't like Sucker Punch. That's the only film he ever made that I didn't like. But he was a celebrated filmmaker that a lot of people like to keep their eyes on, that he was innovative. And I love the fact that we've got Army of the Dead coming. I love the fact that Snyder's going to be able to get back to making those kinds of films. And I think this is not only good for Warner Brothers to move on with their new direction, but I think this is going to be great for Zack Snyder overall. And I think the more and more Zack Snyder, like, I don't know this for sure, but I think the more and more Zack Snyder gets distance from the DC universe, I think you're going to see him become a bigger and bigger name uh, as a guy, I mean, of course, who knows? Maybe Army of Dark or Army of the Dead sucks. Who knows? But I'm excited by what I'm seeing. So that's the part I don't think anybody's talking about is this is good for Zack Snyder, and I'm looking forward to what he's got going. What do you think about Zack Snyder's future? Look, as we talked about before on the show, he's got his whole Army of the Dead franchise over at Netflix. Yeah. There's the movie coming out, which I can't wait to see. They've greenlit a prequel film. They're making an animated series from it. So he's already got three different projects he's shepherding all around this one universe over at Netflix. I'm looking forward to what he does. Um, again, he's a vibrant, creative talent. Whether you like his brand of creativity or not, there's no denying that when you see a Zack Snyder movie, you get something that is truly uniquely his. And I've always been interested in, in artists that bring authorship and vision to their projects. I might not like them all the time, but I like people that have a distinct style and you can recognize their work and you can look at their whole oeuvre of material that they've created and been like, wow, that, here's a very consistent, interesting creator that I feel it's worth my while to follow, even if I don't like their entire output. Yep, I agree. So the question here is, guys. What do you think about this? The uh, the fact that Snyder is now confirmed. Well, first of all, last week we had Hamada saying the Justice League miniseries is a cul-de-sac. It, nothing's going to come out of that. It is. It's a special one-time event. Now we have Zack Snyder saying he has no plans to make any further films. But by the way, it should be pointed out. But before we close off this topic, Rob, it should be pointed out that in the midst of all that uh, interview, Zack Snyder also said what should always be said. He said, you know, never say never. He said, I'm not, I'm not saying it's impossible that we couldn't ever do something again. He did give that, which is, is exactly what he should say. So put that in there too. But it does seem, from what he's saying, from what Hamada is saying, it does seem like this. So what do you guys think about that? Jump down to the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down and out of the way, let's go on over and start taking your live questions. And if you've got a live question you want to send in, the way you do it is you simply simply use the tip link that's near the top of the description of this video. Just go into the description of the video. You'll see it. You can click on it there, or you can enter it in manually at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. Now, I want to highlight this, guys, because we get a lot of tips that come in, and they, they gets labeled as anonymous. When you forget to actually put in your name on that top line, it comes through as anonymous. And if you're going to send us a fun topic to talk about and you support the channel by tipping the channel, I want to make sure you guys get a shout out. So unless you really want to keep your name anonymous, please make sure you remember to fill out that your name part because I'd like to give you a shout out for sending it in. All right, guys, that down. Let's get on over to it, shall we? And we're going to start things off here with Josh Ward, who writes, 
Also, checked out your documentary. Thank you so much for that, Josh. Awesome job. Loved all of it. But my favorite parts were when your experts talked about the trailers that affected them or the ones that gave away too much. The the part about the chapter about trailers are giving away too much. That was one of my favorite chapters in the documentary. Um, you could truly see the love story they had with the subject matter. Well, thanks a lot for that, Josh. And and that's the thing, Rob. One of the things that I know you and I talked about too when I was getting started on making it is that we all know trailers, but we right. we often forget like we as an audience truly, this is why we named the movie movie trailers a love story. We as an audience really do have this a very passionate love affair with trailers that sometimes is complicated and sometimes it's it, it rages hot, but I mean, it is. And trailers really do. We have very special moments that we have with trailers, just like we have special moments when watching a movies. Like you tell a story in it about, uh, you know, you're, you remembering, and this story is in the documentary, you remembering the first time you saw the uh, Wrath of Khan trailer. I still remember that. And trailers really do have those. How, what, what is it about trailers, Rob, that can, that are commercials. That's all they are. They're commercials, but we can form these really emotional, get these emotional reactions to them. What is it about trailers that makes them unique that way? Well, I think they're, they're a promise. Chris Gore said it like it was the promise of, it's like a first date. You know, when you're, when you, you've met somebody that you're really excited about and you go on a, a first date and the first date's great. That's what it's like seeing a great first trailer. You can't wait to see more of that person. And I think when you watch a trailer, what it is, it's, it's, it's a promise that is being made to your imagination. And, you know, I always say the audience of my own YouTube show are imagination connoisseurs. Well, we're all, everybody who's watching this show right now, we're all imagination connoisseurs. We all love movies and television and comics and video games. And what we want from those things is to stimulate our, our pleasure centers, which begin with our imagination. And when you see a trailer that captures, if you're awaiting a movie, you know, you're waiting whether it's Dune or whether it's The Eternals, which we haven't seen a trailer for, but anything that you're looking forward to. And if the trailer comes out and it shows you everything you hoped for in two minutes, it's promising promising you that, hey, man, if you think this is good, wait till you see the rest of this movie. And it just, that's what it's doing. It's, it's, it's like, you know, when you kiss somebody for the first time and it's a really great kiss, it's like an upper persuasion to a lower invasion that you can't wait to experience. That's what <laughs> I like to say. <laughs> All right. Hey, by the way, I, I want to point this. Somebody in the chat board, I, th- I think it was Leandro, just gave an actually a, a suggestion I can get. A Leandro in the chat board in the live chat sent this in that I, I all before. Zack Snyder for Deadpool 3. I could get behind that. I, I could wow. totally, I could get behind that. I think that's a, that would be a very interesting match. I could totally get behind that. Okay, uh, let's move on. Uh, next one, Brennan M writes, Hey, John, hope all is well. It is. Thank you, Brennan. Uh, I can agree Tom Brady is the GOAT, greatest of all time. Kind of like Superman, I suppose, all powerful. I guess that makes the Giants his kryptonite. Uh, does that 18 and one season ever keep you up at night? I have a feeling it keeps Brady up at night from time to time. Yeah. So of course, like one of the big ones, of course, that the, the one big one was that one Super Bowl where they, the Patriots had it wrapped up and then uh, Eli Manning heaved up this hail Mary 
And the receiver, do you remember this, Rob? The receiver came down with it in this total fluke catch where like the back of his oh, arm yeah. held the ball against yeah. the back of his head. And it, 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 was, it was amazing to watch. It was absolutely amazing to watch. But that one big fluke kept a seventh ring off of uh, uh, Brady's hand. Does it keep Brady up at night? Oh, no, I don't think so. I think it would keep Brady up at night if he had never won a Super Bowl. Like, if you had never won a Super Bowl and that was your one shot at it and that ridiculous circus catch is what cost it to you, oh, my God, that would keep him up every night for the rest of his <laughs> yeah. life. And maybe even if he only had one Super Bowl ring and he thought, man, I could have had two. But once you have two rings and then three rings and then four rings and then five rings, and then six rings, you've completed the infinity gauntlet. He's got all six gems. <laughs> Once you get six, you don't worry about the uh, the ones you like, because he lost other Super Bowls, right? I mean, you get to, he got to the Super Bowl, I think, 10 times? Nine times? Nine times, yeah. I think? Maybe, got uh, whatever. Times. Think about Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. Think about this, Rob. A lot of people consider maybe the best quarterback. He's probably going to win MVP this year. Aaron Rodgers. He's amazing. You know how many times he's been to the Super Bowl? Once. Once. And he's amongst one of the all-time greats, Aaron Rodgers. Tom Brady's taken his team to the Super Bowl, I, I believe it's nine times. He's got six rings. It's kind of crazy. So no, the, the, the ones he lost, I don't think mean anything to him. I don't think he keeps him up at night unless he had fewer rings. But once you get past like four rings, you don't you don't sweat it so much. You don't worry about it too too much. All right, anyway, uh, Casey McNatt writes, Hey, John and Rob. Well, I recently saw your video for the most, anticip most anticipated movies list, and I got to say, I have pretty much the same. However, a few honorable mentions I want to see is Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho and uh, James Wan's Malignant. Well, we talked about that a little bit. Well, more about, Edgar Wright's uh, Last Night in Soho. I, I think it's because whenever Edgar Wright is attached to anything, you have to keep your eye on it. Like Edgar yeah. Wright is one of my favorite guys in the business. It's just that simple. That said, I couldn't really put Last Night in Soho on my most anticipated list because not only have I not seen anything from it, I really know nothing about it. And the, uh, there, are, there are several films that were on my top 10 list, Rob, that I haven't seen anything from, but I know a lot about them, and therefore I could put them on. So, yeah, that's the reason I didn't get that on there, but it's definitely one to keep our eyes on. Where's your anticipation right now for that Edgar Wright film? Oh, it's, it's up there. But, you know, I just – I don't know if I saw that on the 2021 release schedule that I was looking at because I'll tell you, uh, both Edgar Wright's movie and I, I don't even know what James Wan's Malignant is about – but the title alone makes it seem like it has to do with disease or something. And I'm in. I'll watch any <laughs> body horror, anything to do with weird body horror, whatever it is. I don't know what it is. I just want to see it. And I think in my mind, James Wan is the Alfred Hitchcock of the jump scare. Oh, wow. And I, I, I really enjoy his films just to watch how he – like that tiptoe through the tulip scene, is it what, in the first Insidious? <laughs> where the camera's like outside of a house – and it made me scared just listening to Tiny Tim. I mean, it, it, I can't wait. Malignant. Um, 
Malignant's got to be up there. All right. Uh, next up, by the way, super email sent in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thanks for that super email. Appreciate that, man. All right. Next up, uh, Brendan M writes, thinking about the Wonder Woman bulletproof question, it occurred to me that perhaps just because they don't create a wound doesn't mean it couldn't feel unpleasant to have bullets smacking you. She seemed to, tr- she, she seemed truly surprised the bullet hurt her in Wonder Woman 84. That continues to be a debate, Rob, about, and and something I'd love to hear uh, Patty Jenkins address is Wonder Woman bulletproof because, you know, in everything we've seen, Superman feels no need to Superman's bulletproof. He feels no need to block anything. He just stands there. Hey, guys, you want to take a shot? Go for it. Boom, 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 boom. Um, uh, uh, Luke Cage, the bulletproof man, he just walks in. Take your best shot, guys. Boom, boom, boom. But when when Wonder Woman in the movies, it's she's blocking everything. Whether it's on the battlefield with a shield, whether it's her race bristlets, she's she's blocking everything. So when we get into the scene in Wonder Woman eighty four, where she actually gets pierced by a bullet, it scratches her and she bleeds. The question is, was that remarkable? Because oh, she's not supposed to be penetrated by bullets, or was it remarkable in the fact that she missed one? She wouldn't normally miss those. They would come and they hit her. And so uh, to me, it's still a lingering question about to whether or not she's bulletproof. Let me put you on the spot, Rob. The important, forget the Georgia Senate primary races or the Senate races. Forget that. The important question today for all of us is, according for what you've seen of Wonder Woman in the movies so far, is she bulletproof? What's your take on it? Yes. Ah. Yes, she is. But that doesn't mean that she's as invulnerable as – look, I think what's interesting about Wonder Woman's power is it was imbued by the gods, whereas Superman's power was more imbued by the universe itself. So I think the co- the power of the gods can be taken away, and I think that um, you know uh, it depends. I mean it really depends, but I think the way they've depicted it – part of the whole thing about being bulletproof is that her power could be diminished. So that was interesting. Superman's cannot, I mean, unless you're not exposed to the power of a yellow sun, but that's not a problem for him on earth. But whereas wonder woman, we've seen that she can be affected. It's interesting. Both magic can affect Superman and wonder woman. Apparently. Yeah. I I'm still of the belief that she, the movies, she is not bulletproof and that, um, she just missed, that bullet, because her powers were diminishing, she missed being able to block that. Because normally she would have been able to block it. She missed it. And that was because her powers. But I don't know. We'll find out. I'm dying to see Patty Jenkins actually answer. Why is this important? It. Why is this important to me? This is the stupidest thing for me to worry about. But hey, whatever. I want to know if Wonder Woman's bulletproof. Okay, uh, let's move on here. Next up. Uh, let's see. Chuck the Mystery. I love that username. Chuck the Mystery writes. Uh, Hey, John and Rob, with the news from Walter Hamada and the decades of material to choose from, what story from DC Comics history uh, that has yet to be adapted to the live action would you most like to see as a film or TV series? Anxious for multiple Batmans, by the way, thanks. Man, that's that's a hard question. Like, there's there's like decades and decades and decades and decades and decades and decades and decades of stories to go through. And like, which one haven't they really touched on yet? I... I don't know. I mean, in a way, they've already touched on the Nightfall stuff, right? They've already touched on Nightfall a little bit. 
I have no interest in the age of the Superman. I have I have no interest in that storyline whatsoever. Uh, but they've already touched. They still t- did touch on that by touching on the death of Superman a little bit, right? Which is kind of what ushered in the age of Superman. So, I mean, Nightfall, but I mean, I don't want them to move away from Batman. I don't want them to bring in uh, Jean-Paul. I don't want to bring in Azrael as as whatever because that's that's so i don't know rob do you happen to have one that they've never even touched on that you think would just is just right for the big screen right now maybe long halloween i, I mean i don't know what do you think well you know there are i would love them to go back to more 70s batman you know like the denny o'neill um um era that neil adams was drawing not necessarily a specific story, but just the feel of that Batman. More of a, not so Tim Burton-esque, but it's more of a gothic, more streetwise, more um, uh, kind of a combination of what Christopher Nolan had started to do, but make it a little bit more, I don't know, more just more gritty. You know, more more the Dark Knight detective storylines that uh, where... I just, I, I would like to, and it, by the way, it looks like that's what Matt Reeves is doing in the Batman. So I don't know if he's adopting or adapting a, a certain story specifically, but the trailer that we saw from that is exactly the kind of Batman I've wanted to see. So we'll see. All right. Uh, let's carry on here. That was Chuck the Mystery. Next up is Michael Anthony who writes, well, John and Rob, I finally did it. At 26 year old, I, at 26 years old, I finally sat down and watched The Lord of the Rings for the first time. Good on you. With 4K extended editions, uh, I'm astounded. I wish I hadn't taken so long for me to see it. I can't believe what I was missing out on. Yeah, you missed out on it, but guess what? You just got to do something that none of the rest of us will ever get to do, which is watch Lord of the Rings for the first time, man. Isn't it a glorious... I just sat down and started... We Anne and I sat down and watched Fellowship of the Ring again. Um, for the first time in a while, about two weeks ago or something like that. And it's just such a great experience. And I'm glad you got on it, Michael. Again, don't lament that you've gone so long without seeing it. Celebrate that you just got to have that experience of seeing it for the first time. Some of the best films uh, ever made. Some of the best films ever made. All right, Mischievous Gremlin writes, Hey, John and Rob. I'm just brainstorming here. I don't know if Michael Keaton is showing up in more movies than just The Flash or not, but I wouldn't mind him being old man Bruce mentoring young Terry McGinnis in a Batman Beyond movie. A Batman Beyond movie, Rob, is something a lot of, uh, well, I'm not going to say a lot, but a segment of the fan base has really been calling for for a long time. I've said for the longest time that just get over it. It ain't going to happen. Nobody cares about Batman Beyond. Until... Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse came along. Once Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse came along and had the success that um, that they had with it, that opened up. I don't. I still don't think it's likely we're going to get Batman Beyond. Honestly, I think most most the average average film fans never even heard of it, don't care about it. But ever since the success of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, I believe that it cracks the door open. For a possibility. Do you think we're going to see a Batman Beyond at some point? Oh, Rob, can you hear me? I do. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I really do. I, As a matter of fact, I think that... Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, great. Yeah, um, I absolutely think we're going to get a Batman Beyond series. 
And I think that Michael Keaton is the perfect guy to be in it. Absolutely. A hundred percent. All right, let's move on here. Uh, next up comes to us from Nicholas, uh, Priera writes, uh, about the focus on Clark, you misunderstood. I didn't say Clark had to overshadow soups. I'm just saying Clark can be the main personality uh, like in a lot of comics, especially those from the 80s in which Ma made his in which Ma uh, made. Oh, Ma made his first suit. The, the, the symbolic was clear. Oh, that's one of nine. OK, let's let's buckle in here. Uh, uh, Nicholas Peros writes, uh, how does Clark. Uh, how does Clark's knowledge and values, private life and job influence his outlook on his role as Superman? How do his wife, parents, and friends support him like ours do? And what repercussions his role as a hero on his marriage and paternity? Uh, Superman is the main personality. Uh, Superman is the main personality in which comics, as you like to say. And why should we stick to this? Winning cures everything, but losing all matches requires questioning. Why do so many people say Supes is not relatable? Um, you highlight the Superman, uh, the Supermans of Ralph and Cavill, but but were they adored by the audience? As you like to say, it doesn't matter what you or I thought of them. They get, they get much more divisive responses than uh, Evans Cap or Hamill's OG Luke. Clark being the main personality is something that has never been done in the movies while already done in the comics or on TV. Lois and Clark, for example, no matter how this TV show is outdated, it's not the point. Uh, and the benefits are obvious. People can accept fantastical concepts if they still get the daily life feeling. Uh, the story of a God who wants to imitate humans is much less relatable than that of the man who must accept to be seen as a God. Uh, Snyder understood that, but he skimmed over the concept because he was more interested in making iconic and heavy moments than developing Clark's every day. Yes, Cavill's Clark is a man, but with too few nuanced social interactions, either alone or bullied, uh, Lois is his world, right? Miserable. Uh, when a Spidey movie is produced, no one worries that Peter Parker might overshadow him. But what saddens me when it comes to soups is that there's some people just decide to fall into every possible screenwriting trap. Uh, soups over Clark, soups too powerful, Lex and Zod over and over again, realism over myth, optimism isn't fashionable, DC verse uh, vampirized by the success of the exhausting bat, and we have the guts to wonder why Warner Brothers no longer knows what to do with soups. Well, that was a very long, strung out series of thoughts. Uh, and I appreciate that. My my underlying. Th so for those of you who don't know, Nicholas wrote in the other day and talked about it, but in a much shorter way and just basically said, you know, we think there should be more emphasis put on Clark, the Clark side, as opposed to the Superman side. Um, and I still disagree. I still disagree. Um, a, a great example of that, again, that I said before, but I'll say again, was the Iron Man three situation. Iron Man three kind of exhibited that the, one of the big complaints coming out of Iron Man three was the fact that people didn't get enough Iron Man. It was really more Tony Stark three. Now I'm not saying I agree with that criticism, but Rob, you remember that that was one of the big things that came out around Iron Man three is that, Oh, you know, we want to see Iron Man. I mean, we like seeing Tony, Tony Stark in, in, uh, in segments, but we want it more to be Iron Man and all that kind of thing. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I disagree. I still disagree with you, Nicholas. People do not go to see a Superman movie to see the daily life of, of Clark, of Clark Kent. You, you, 
have him there to give context and setting. And I like the Clark we got in. I, no, I didn't like the Clark we got in Man of Steel. I love the Clark we got in Man of Steel. But at the end of the day, people want to see Superman. I mean, what you're describing is great. And listen, you can say about Lois and Clark was beloved, but it had a relatively small audience at the end of the day. And I just think for the most part, people do not want to go to see a Superman movie where the majority of the emphasis is put on the daily in and out life of Clark interacting with his wife and his kids and his job and and whatever. I just don't think that's what people are going for. I think they're going for to see that as an aspect of Superman's life, but they're not going there to see a Clark Kent movie. They're going to see a Superman movie. And uh, I don't, I don't Rob, listen, you and I haven't talked about this, but what's your kind of take on uh, what's your take on that? Well, I, you know, to me, it, it is, it's kind of a combination. I mean, I, I love to see superhero films or any superhero story where their real life, say their civilian life or their secret identity and their superheroics kind of work together in tandem. Like, for instance, Superman 2, the beginning of Superman 2, when they go to Niagara Falls, you know, and Clark's trying to be Superman and saves the kid. And then eventually Lois discovers who he is as he's Clark. I think you got the best of both worlds. And that's kind of what I what I really like. I mean, I thought Iron Man 3, I, I'm a huge Iron Man 3 fan, but I did think there was a little too much Tony Stark in civilian life and maybe a little light on the Iron Man, and I would like to have seen more on, of that. But again, it all comes down really to the story that's being told. I don't like to make blanket assessments and be like, well, I only like something if it's this way. Because if you've got a great storyteller with a great script and you've got great actors playing these roles, I think a great story will trump the amount of screen, screen time a character gets as a superhero or as he is in his civilian identity. Because... If you see a superhero film with a superhero action and it's it's incredible, but it's only say thirty percent of the movie, but if the rest of the seventy percent is still great, you feel satisfied. You know, it's like a Lethal Weapon movie. I could watch a Lethal Weapon movie just to watch Riggs and Murtaugh walk around a shopping mall and banter back and forth. And if I only get a little bit of action, but I get more Riggs and Murtaugh, I'm cool with that. <laughs> but it's got to be good. All right. Uh, thanks a lot for sending in your thoughts on that, Nicholas. Really appreciate it. I'm sure there's probably a lot of people that agree with you on that as well. All right. Next up, Sergeant Ward writes, Hey, John, if Edge of Tomorrow 2 does get made, how's this for a title? Edge of Tomorrow, all you need is kill. In my opinion, uh, that would make up for that awful title. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, look, at the end of the day, a title is just a piece of marketing. That, that's all it is. It doesn't do anything to help the movie uh, as far as quality goes. But I mean... As a piece of marketing, Edge of Tomorrow was a terrible, terrible title because it doesn't give you any indication about the movie. It sounds like a bad afternoon soap opera. Uh, when you had a very memorable, stands out in front of your face title from the original source material, all you need is kill. You never forget that. Nope. You don't forget that. That's the title they should have gone with. So... And then Rob, remember they they on the on the Blu-ray packaging, they like changed the title to Live Die Repeat. And then like on the side <laughs> spine, it said um yeah. Edge of Tomorrow. But on the cover, I was like Live Die Repeat. So it's like they still can't make up their minds. Just call the damn thing all you need is kill, please. Just call it all you need is kill. Uh our our friend Cliff Stevenson uh bought me the Japanese steel book, and in Japan it was called All You Need Is Kill. 
Yes, yes, this is exactly what it should have been called in the first place. Uh, anyway, it's just a good piece of marketing. Okay, thanks for that, Sergeant. Man of Tomorrow writes, uh, what do you think are the chances of an MCU reboot in the next five to 10 years? I'm dying to see uh, all of Marvel's characters together. Feels weird with Steve, Tony, T'Challa, and others being gone. Uh, while it will be years till the Fantastic Four and X-Men get introduced. I mean, listen, in movie terms, when you start talking anything beyond five years, you might as well say, what will happen six billion years from now? Because seriously, it, in movie terms, five years is is an eternity. It's an absolute yeah. eternity. I will say this. At some point, the MCU reboots. At some point. I don't see it happening in the next five. But anything is possible within the next ten. Because listen, if anything, Kevin Feige is bold. He is bold. And what would be bolder for him to go to, to do than say, you know what? I've told this story about this MCU universe. I got new stories I want to tell, but it's going to require a clean sheet. Rebooting. I'm rebooting. Hey, listen, if anybody could, would do something like that, it's Kevin Feige. And if anybody has enough political cred with their audience uh, to pull something like that, it is also Kevin Feige. Because the audience trusts him. So I doubt within the next five years, but it could be a possibility within 10. All right. Stubble McShave writes, if we have a physical San Diego Comic-Con this year, which mo new movies and TV series do you think will be the big uh, talking talking subjects after that? Oh, God, I don't know. Yeah. That's that that's that's six months away. I, I, and look, the reality is this in this pandemic, we l literally don't know what is going to happen two weeks from now. Like we just we just don't know. Like in four days, we could find out that, you know, 50 million more doses of the vaccine are spread out and everybody's getting it. And lo and behold, by February, you know, by my birthday, the end of February, we're all everything's back to normal. That's unlikely, but I'm just saying. So what's going to happen in July? Which movies are still coming out relevant to that? You know, will studios in the first year back, will they be flooding into to Comic-Con or will they be holding back? It's really impossible to say at this point, but I will say this. I really missed Comic-Con last year. Yeah, I really too. did. I, the two things I really missed last year was Comic-Con and CinemaCon. God, I missed those. I, I miss those a lot. And I, I'll just, look, I don't care if no studios go to Comic-Con this year. I really don't. I'm looking forward to going to Comic-Con if indeed it happens. But, and I, you know, right now, if I had to bet five bucks on if in July we'll be able to go to Comic-Con, I'll put five bucks that thinking that we will. I wouldn't bet a hundred bucks. I'm not that certain of it, but uh, beyond that, I, I can't even bother to guess. I can't even bother. Rob, what are your thoughts on uh, whether we got a comic con this year? Uh, I think the jury's out on that. I mean, the one thing about comic con, it's, it's, it's the one place where I know I'm going to get infected with something, <laughs> <laughs> whether there's a pandemic or not, John, uh, to get that con crud, you, no place can guarantee it more than the San Diego comic-con. I mean, you know what it's like that exhibitors floor. You're, you're, you're packed in there like sardines breathing on every experiencing every other human being that's in that room, <laughs> whether you want to or not. Um, a uh, whole second here. Let me see if I can bring this up okay uh let's move on next question by the way t1 sends in a uh, a super chat badge in the live chat thank you so much t1 i appreciate that man all right 
Uh, next up, we have uh, James Saunders. And James Saunders writes, um, Hey, John, I was wondering if you see a higher than 25% chance that Paul Sung-Hyung Lee, is his last name, uh, will appear in multiple Star Wars shows. I can see them making him into their version of the MCU Phase 1 Agent Coulson. Not the main guy, but a good guy that's always kind of there. Thanks. Um, for those of you who do not know, uh, Paul Lee um, is the star of one of my absolute favorite shows on television right now, which is Kim's Convenience. And one of my absolute favorite characters on television in Mr. Lee, Kim's Convenience or Mr. Kim. Uh, it, it's great. Anyway, you may, if you don't watch Kim's Convenience, you probably recognize his face anyway, because he was in two episodes of Mandalorian this season as the X-Wing pilot. Um, he came in with the Ice Spiders episode with Dave Filoni. The two of them were the pilots. And then he shows up again later in the season, giving the badge to Cara Dune and, and essentially making her a marshal and all that kind of stuff, an agent of the New Republic. And I'm going to go under 25%. I believe, we'll, I believe we'll see him pop up again, but I don't think we're going to see him. Listen, he is busy. He's got another show. He's got a big hit show in, in Gim's Convenience. I don't think you're going to see him become a regular in Star Wars, but I will let you know this. Um, Paul and I have been talking over Twitter, Rob, and uh, he wants to come on the show. We're going to have Paul. So sometime, hopefully in the wow. next month or two. And now, of course, they're getting ready to launch season five of Kim's Convenience. So it's not going to be in the, in the next few days, the next few weeks, yeah. but. But hopefully in the next month or two, we're going to have Paul on the show and I will ask him, what's your, I'll, I'll ask him, what's your future? What's your future? So, you know, he is a member of the 501st. I know he would be before he was on the show. He's a huge Star Trek fanboy. It's huge Star Wars, huge Star Wars. Oh, nerd. did I say Star Trek? You did. Oops. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. But a for huge a 501st member Star Wars fanboy for him to be on that is amazing. So uh, he and I have been talking uh, I'll ask him that question when he comes on. For now, I'm going to take the under 25%. I just don't think he has time to be a regular. But uh, wouldn't it be great? I think it would be great, James. Thanks. And then he tipped in 20 bucks. Thank you so much for that, man. I appreciate that. All right, next up, we've got Brendan M. who writes, Hey, John, with the confirmation that T'Challa won't be recast, how do you see them removing the character? Uh, how would you like to see them do it in the way you think it will be done? Uh, wouldn't... Let me see. How would you like to see them do it if the way you think it will be done wouldn't be your first choice? Honestly, I have no idea how they're going to do it. And, and this is the other thing. Since I have no idea what their story is going to be, I can't possibly have an opinion about how I think they should do it. Because how I think they should do it will be based on a couple of preconceptions about what I think the next movie is going to be. They may do something completely different. Like Rob brought up a great idea about, um, you know, well, you know, why not have art imitate reality? Why not say that King T'Challa like suffered a very human disease and uh, cancer maybe and passed away? Of course, his healing factor with the Blossom kind of mitigates the possibility of doing that, but something like that, something that emphasizes the human tragedy part of it, just like all of us went through with the loss of Chadwick Boseman. They could just say he left world. Maybe maybe he he literally went on some mission with Captain Marvel and, and went off world. Uh, maybe you say he's gone temporarily. Maybe you say he just disappeared 
And you leave that as, as an open door to revisit the story three years later, if you want, if you come up with a great idea. But the, the bottom line is it, I can't come up with a, this is how they should write him out when I don't know what the next story is and how it will fit within the world they're telling. But it is going to be one of the big, big things, obviously, that Ryan Coogler and Kevin Feige have to wrestle with about how do we write him out? Because yeah. that's going to be important. Rob, do you happen to have a thought on that right now? You know, I really don't. I mean, other than what I'd said before, but I, I you know, this is such a, I have to say I was watching Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. So good. And it was his last performance. And, you know, clearly he was much thinner than we'd seen him. And all I could think about was the performance he delivers in that movie. The acting in that movie is just unbelievable from everybody involved. Already getting Oscar buzz. And I looked at this and I'm like, this guy was a, was a, a warrior in the sense that I can't imagine what kind of pain he must have been in. I'm sure he channeled it into that performance, but my God, what a hero he was. And I think whatever they need, whatever they do, uh, I don't know if it can live up to the kind of honor that Chad Bozeman deserves in the way he, he faced his health issues in life. I mean, he certainly exemplified what the human spirit can do and he left us with an incredible legacy of work. And I think, wow, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom stands as a testament to just how great of a person and a man and an actor, a performer and an artist he was, man. Because that is some that is some amazing work he did. All right. Next up, uh, where we go here? We've got Jiu-Jitsu Justin writes. Warrior is my second favorite show I've watched all year behind the boys. As an Asian-American man, it's just nice to see well-written, complex Asian leads. Also, John, I remember you once said that you used to train. Uh, when's the last time you rolled? The last time I rolled, I started I started training when I was still in Canada, but it wasn't till I really, when I moved to L.A., when I first moved to L.A., um, the very first thing I did was I joined uh, former UFC uh, light heavyweight and heavyweight champion, Randy Couture's. I joined, uh, his training center in Los Angeles. So he also, he, that he did also with other MMA legend, Baz Rutten. And that's where I really first started, uh, training jujitsu was there. And, uh, yeah. And I just, look, Randy Couture is like one of the nicest guys in the world. I, I, I remember Rob, our friend, uh, Cliff Stevenson, he was doing, a all the behind the scenes stuff of uh expendables uh, our friend cliff stevenson does all these who appears in our documentary he does all these all the behind the scenes he's a film documentarian he does all the behind the scenes stuff on a lot of these movies and he does most of uh sylvester stallone's movies and so he had to go out to vegas and he invited uh me to come along to go to randy's at the time relatively new training center out in vegas and uh, got to bring Anne along and Got to hang out there with him as well. And, and you know, that's where, where Ann met him and all that kind of stuff. And great. Now, I still have not watched uh, the Warrior show. I've not seen the show. I mean, obviously, when I think of Warrior, I think of the movie. And I absolutely love the movie. But uh, but uh, anyway, yeah, I got to check it out. I'm getting more and more people telling me I need to check it out. So we'll we'll check that out. Thank you so much, Jiu-Jitsu Justin. All right, next up, uh, James writes, Hello, John. How come big budget movies such as Wonder Woman 84 hire a logic director? Let me try this again. How come big budget movies such as Wonder Woman 84 hire a logic director for the story? 
out of all the people involved and the studio giving notes, doesn't anyone seem to know that a movie is a logical example? Wonder Woman 84. I'm not quite sure you wrote that the way you meant to write to write it, James. But I guess you're asking, uh, why don't they have a logic director? Well, they do. It's called the director. The director is supposed <laughs> to be the logic director. The screenwriter is supposed to be the logic screenwriters. Look, it's, I, I, look, there are some things that I'll never understand how they slip through. Like, Rob, we've been talking the last few days, and we're, we've spent enough time talking about Wonder Woman 84, so I don't want to go into a big, long thing. But it is really frustrating the more you come to the realization that a movie shouldn't leave it up to the audience to come up with theories of how the movie made sense when every theory we come up with stands in contradiction to something else came up in the movie. I mean, it's just there. And look, there have been you can have logic problems in movies and still have a great, entertaining, fun movie. Listen, I, I know nobody likes to admit it, but Infinity War and Endgame have some logic problems. But guess no. what? The movie's energetic and entertaining and engaging and people had a great experience. Winning cures everything. When the movie isn't as entertaining or engaging, the flaws become a little bit more apparent. And uh, that has, that's been the case, Rob. Like I, I have yet to hear anybody give a theory about how all the radical inconsistencies in Wonder Woman 84 make logical sense. And it shouldn't be the fan's job to do that. It shouldn't be the fan's job to do that. But I, is that something that stood out to you when you reflect back on Wonder Woman 84? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, I haven't, I still don't understand how wishes are granted. That's that my big thing about that is once you're into the wish world, I, I don't, I don't know how it all works. Um, I don't know if there's a wish switchboard and somebody at that switchboard <laughs> opera, whoever's doing that. Okay. You've made your wish. Let me think about this. You want the sovereignty of your homeland brought back and you want the infidels thrown out. Uh, how about a thousand foot wall around your entire country? Well, who's going to build that thousand foot wall? Where's the materials going to come from? Hmm. That's a problem. That doesn't matter. Let's just give you that wall. I, I mean, how but, does that but work? you can't give Steve Trevor a body. Can't give Steve Trevor a body. Got to shove him into somebody else's body. That's that's. And when people laugh and like, who cares? It's a comic book movie. But, you know, when you you are granting wishes and you're granting the whole world wishes, there are logic, logistical problems that are going to arise when your wish becomes something that's manifested in the real world. And and like I, I, I how structurally sound are those? Because you didn't say – in his wish, he didn't go, I want 1,000-foot, very structurally sound walls that are impervious to any kind of military attack. He didn't say that. So who made the decision to build the walls? There's an intellectual reasoning behind the granting of the wish. And without a genie filtering these wishes through its head, how did they make the decision to build walls in the first place? This is what I'm thinking when I'm watching the movie. I know it might be silly. People go, well, Rob, you should just go with it. But well, like, yeah, but here's this is this brings up the thing I always say though about whenever people say that. It's like, John, you gotta suspend disbelief. It's a sci-fi thing, it's a comic book thing. Yeah. No, no, I don't mind. I have no issues and no problems with sci-fi movies, comic book movies, whatever, breaking the logic rules of our regular world. Right. All I ask is that you stay consistent with whatever sci-fi and comic book rules you set up in your own movie. Just stay consistent with your own. You don't have to be consistent with my logic. 
just be consistent with your own logic. And it's it gets frustrating when you get like a Wonder Woman 84 that constantly is breaking its own rules. It says, this is what happens in our world. And then they totally break that. You know, and that's the part that frustrates me. But at, at any rate. Well, well, I mean, when, when, when Barbara Minerva goes, I want to be an apex predator. In her mind, was it Cheetah that she wanted to wind up as? Like, I'm like, did she, when she said apex predator, was that not euphemistic? Kind of like you want to be like Gordon Gecko in the world of finance in the 80s in Wall Street? <laughs> or when she said apex predator, like, what if she was a, turned into a shark and put in the sea? And by the way, just want to throw this out there. I just want to point out, a cheetah is my favorite animal. By the way, my favorite wild animal is a cheetah. They are. I think it's a cool thing. They are not apex predators. Well, yeah. I, I just I, just want to throw thing. that out there. She wished to be an apex predator. Cheetah's I, not I mean, an apex when, predator. And I'm just. I uh, the thing is, why a jungle cat? Why not a shark? Why not put her in the water? And that's how I mean, you could have got King Shark. That's I mean, how you bring King Shark into the DCEU. But to see, these are the questions. Like, if I have this question in my mind while I'm watching the movie, I'm not suspending my disbelief, which means the movie doesn't work. You know, and like, like you said, if I'm watching a movie about, say, Warp Drive, I understand Warp Drive, but even Warp Drive in the Star Trek universe has limitations. It's and own it's rules. Been shown. You know, it's got its own rules and, and you can create those fictional rules like, you know, in in Harry Potter, you can't just be a wizard. You have to go to school. You have to mm. learn how to be a wizard. You know, you, you don't just have magical powers where you can suddenly do anything and you have to like have a wand so you can channel your power or however it works. And all of the great fantasy works of literature, well, sci-fi, fantasy, horror, they all have those rules. And once yep. you set up those rules, you buy into the fictional universe. And when you don't have those rules, then it just becomes, as I like to say, gobbledygook. Gobbledygook, indeed. Oh, well, listen, Rob, uh, we know you've got things you've got to do. We've hit 1130. Thank you so much for being here. We'll, of course, see you back again on Friday. But in the meantime, Rob, where can people follow you in your adventures online? You can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me on Twitter at Burnett RM or find me on my own YouTube page, The Burnett Work. Come on by. All right, Rob, thanks for being here, man. And we will talk to you again in a couple of days. Have a good one. All right, John. I'll see you later. All right, guys, that is the one and the only, the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. We still have some time here to keep getting through your questions, though. So let's keep right on motoring, shall we? We're going to start things off here. Keep going here with Crazy Joe Megapodtastic writes, Hey, John, I'm curious as to your take on the latest Ray Fisher controversy. It seems to me that he's gotten everything he asked for. He got his investigation. Uh, his cut scenes are back in Snyder Cut, and he's still not happy. I really think he needs to stop. Well, we, we talked about the Ray Fisher thing earlier. Uh, in the show, so I refer you back to the the uh, the beginning of the show here. Not much else to say here, other than what we you know keep repeating. None of us were there. None of us know what went down, um, and uh, it is what it is. I mean, he's obviously not going to work with uh, WB again. Uh, Walter Hamada has got his extension. I, you know, listen, and. I, 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 not knowing what happened and not having been there, it's hard to know what it was that Ray Fisher was trying to accomplish. Uh, and I don't say that as a criticism. I'm, I'm saying that literally without being there and seeing what happened and without actually knowing, not even hearing from Ray Fisher what it is he's alleging that happened, it's it's very, very difficult. You know, it puts you as a, as a viewer, as a listener in a situation where it's very, very difficult Um to really have much of an opinion, you know, uh, otherwise it, you know, it worked out the way it worked out and 
It, 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 here's just hoping that Ray Fisher is able to do something with his career moving on. He's to do with a lot of talent, and a lot of promise. Um, I fear he may have sabotaged himself. I don't know if a lot of studios are going to want to work with him knowing that, oh, so if he's ever unhappy, he's going to get on Twitter and make a huge thing about it in the public. I don't know. Uh, it, it's it's but it's, again bottom line is it's hard to have a very definitive opinion when i wasn't there so uh, i i don't know all right skywalker ranch dressing rights like that name rights i'm okay with an oscars this year if the attendees are not all masked up yes i understand the need for uh the need for them right now uh, and i mask but making them appear glamorous uh on celebrities may influence officials to never remove the mandates and have us covered forever. I, that's that's ridiculous. I'm just going to move on from that. Mischievous Gremlin writes, Hey, John, uh, how are you today? I'm good today, thank you. Uh, don't know if you've heard, but it has now been confirmed that WandaVision is going to have a total of nine episodes rather than the original six that we heard before. Do you feel like this is too many episodes to tell the story? Um, I have not heard that. Hold a second. I, I've not heard that at all. Let me look something up here. Um, uh, WandaVision... Uh, nine episodes. I've not heard that. <clears throat> um, well, no, Sci-Fi Wire is writing the first season of Marvel's WandaVision expanded to nine episodes on Disney+. Plus. There it is. Yeah, WandaVision now expanded to nine episodes on Disney+. Plus. I had not heard that. Uh, Marvel and Disney has kept things fairly nebulous when it comes to the episode count for the upcoming original series, WandaVision, with initial estimates in the six to eight episode range being touted when the show was announced. Well, turns out the high end number was correct. Plus a little bit more. Disney has confirmed that the first season of the series with the first new Marvel show to tie in directly to the MCU and feature big screen heroes will consist of nine episodes. The series premieres on January 15th. Um, Well, let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. I am the kind of guy that I believe that eight episodes is bullshit. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm just one of those guys. Listen, some of the greatest classic shows of all time were able to put out 22, 23, 24 quality episodes every year. I'm just saying, just saying. So, do you feel like it? Do I think nine episodes is too much? No, I think they could have done 16 episodes. If you've got the right story to tell and you know how to tell your story, I think you can do 16 episodes, but I'm one of those guys, but there's just some people believe no fewer episodes, the better. I, I don't agree with that. I, I don't agree. Having more episodes makes it better. I don't believe having less episode makes it better. Uh, if you're only capable of writing a story or enough story to cover X number of episodes, then fine, then just do that. But no, I don't think nine is too, too many. Not at all. My one worry though, I'll say my one worry is that they took their one division thing and said, let's just make it every episode, like 30 minutes. Like I, I, I want 45 minute to an hour long episodes. Don't get me wrong. I'll take 30 quality minutes. I will. I will take 30 quality minutes, but I hope the nine episodes is not, I hope the nine episodes is an indication of our story and characters require this many episodes to properly tell it. I hope it's not a matter of, you know what? The more episodes means the more weeks we put out new content. So let's just trim down. Let's make every episode 28 minutes. I just hope that's not the case. I just hope that is not the case. Um, Okay. We move on now. Uh, next one up comes to us from Charlie. What is it? Charlie Hutchings. 
And Charlie Hutchings writes, uh, why are your hopes and fears? What are your hopes and fears for the alien television show and maybe future films? Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. Honestly, the only, the only hope I have, like a lot of times when people ask for hopes and fears, what they're saying is, what do you think they need to do in the show? And you know me, my, my response is usually, I just want to let them do their show and you tell your story and just make it good. So when it comes to my hopes and fears for, for an alien TV show, it's very, very simple. I hope it's good. I fear it'll be terrible. I hope it's the most amazing thing. My fear, it'll be bad. That's honestly, that's where the extent of my hopes and fears are. That is the extent of my hopes and fears. I really, really hope it's great. What they do with it, I, I don't want to form my own like little fan opinions. I don't want to form my own little uh, fan theories. I don't want to do any of that. I, I just want them to tell a great story and I hope it's good. Fingers crossed. But I'm not going to lie to you. When they announced that alien thing, I am far more interested in the other thing they announced, which is the um, uh, Shogun series. I am all in on that Shogun series. I have been dying to see somebody revisit Shogun for 20 years. I am so excited for that. I cannot wait. It's going to be awesome. Uh, but yeah, let's let's hope that the alien thing is good. All right. Uh, where are we next? Next up is Casey McNatt writes, Hey, John, don't get me wrong. I like Michael Keaton as Batman, but I would have loved to have seen what Jeffrey Dean Morgan would have brought to, uh, brought to the Thomas Wayne Batman character in the Flashpoint movie. Hey, listen, so uh, just so those of you don't know, let me see if I can uh, bring up an image of him. Uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Okay, so Jeffrey Dean Morgan, for those of you who do not know, is a uh, fantastic actor. I think he's great. By the way, um, he is also one of the stars of one of the most underrated movies ever in The Losers that he did with uh, Idris Elba and Chris Evans. I love The Losers. I think that that movie was awesome. But many of you will know him as Negan from Walking Dead. He was the comedian in uh, Watchmen. But most importantly, he was Papa Winchester. He was Sam and Dean's dad in uh, Supernatural. Anyway, of course, you may also remember that in Batman versus Superman, he played for in a very, very short scene. He played Thomas Wayne. Uh, Bruce's dad in the alley scene where they die and then we don't see him again. If you guys know the story of Flashpoint, <clears throat> in this alternate reality, Bruce Wayne died in the alley and Thomas Wayne survived and Thomas Wayne becomes Batman in this alternate reality thing. And so, by the way, listen, I'm just saying, Casey, I have not heard personally, I have not heard anything definitive about people, about anyone saying, Jeffrey Dean Morgan will not appear in Flashpoint. I've, I haven't heard anybody say that. I've also never heard anybody say he actually will. I've never, never heard anybody say he actually will appear. But I'm just saying, I haven't heard anybody say he definitively won't appear in it. So, you know, keep your fingers crossed. Keep your fingers crossed. Maybe we could see something happen. I love Jeffrey Dean Morgan, mostly because I'm a supernatural guy, but whatever. Okay, next up. Jesse writes, I haven't seen Wonder Woman 84 yet, but I assume it ends with Max Lord's mom being named Martha, right? Oh, come on. By the way, uh, in, in case you guys don't know this, um, 
let me see if I can pull this up. Uh, defending the Martha scene. Um, let me see if I can find this. Okay, so I have, I have a video uh, that I made in 2016. I made a video four years ago in 2016 called Defending the Martha Scene in Batman versus Superman. Now, Batman, that scene obviously is the butt of a lot of jokes and deserve it's, it's funny. Why did you say that name? I get it. But I actually think a lot of us misinterpret that scene. And I actually think like maybe it wasn't executed the best way, but I made a full like 11 minute video defending the Martha scene and why I think that scene actually works. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm sure I'm not going to convince any of you. I'm sure I'm not going to convince any of you, but uh, I believe it works. And I think uh, if you're interested in that, you should go check it out. But uh, no, we don't find out uh, Maxwell Lord's mother's name is Martha. All right, next up. Uh, let's see here. Mysterious Gremlin or, or uh yeah, mysterious gremlin writes, John, you dismissed the chance of Evan Peters being brought into the MCU, but there's news of, J of uh, Jamie Foxx and Alfred Molina. Also speculation of Toby and Andrew showing up in a Spider-Man movie. It's like you have said anything is possible. Of course, anything is possible. Anything is possible, but we don't really deal in possibilities. We try to deal in probabilities, Right. Like it's, it's what I said. I remember I was playing poker with this. I was playing poker this one time. It's my favorite time I've ever used this quote. And the guy tried to pull a bluff on me and I called him on his bluff. He, he pulled this bluff with an all in and I just, yeah, I, I called his bluff. I did the math in my head. What are the chances? Blah, 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 blah. I called his bluff. And he said, you know, at the end of it, it's like, how can you call that? Uh, I, I could have been, I could have had aces. It's, it's possible I had aces. So how can you call that? I said, because I don't deal in possibilities. I deal in probabilities and it was not mathematically probable. I mean, you might've possible, but I thought the odds were in my favor. I thought the probability was you didn't. So listen, every indication we have seen is that, uh, Kevin Feige has no intention of bringing in or keeping alive any aspect of the old X-Men universe. The, every indication we have, everything that we have in front of us says that Kevin Feige has no indication of bringing in um, old stuff. And he's going to create an X-Men universe. Um, uh, he's going to create a universe that is his. He's going to create a universe that is his. And it would be to bring in uh, Evans is doing that would be completely contradictory to that. It would be completely contradictory to that. Now, you may say, well, what about the rumors of Toby and Andrew? That's fine. But the biggest chain, different dynamics is there is that Sony's in control of that. Sony has final veto power on what does and doesn't happen. So the Spider-Man situation is a very unique situation because because Kevin Feige is not ultimately in control of what happens there. He's got to work in conjunction with Sony and there may be things they want to accomplish there. But I, yeah, I've just seen nothing that would lead us reasonably to reasonably think 
that there is a legitimate chance that we see Evan Peters come in as Quicksilver. Evan Peters, the actor coming into the MCU, that can happen, but just not as uh, Pietro Maximoff, right? Is it at all possible? Of course it is at all possible. We live in a world where Ben Affleck is coming back to play Batman one more time and Jamie Foxx is playing an Electro. Of course there is a possibility, but it is right now to me so infinitesimally small given in the light of everything we know about Kevin Feige, how he approaches these things and stuff like that, that it doesn't even seem something worth entertaining. If it happens... Well, then it comes out of left field and happens and we and we deal with it then. But it's just such a small possibility right now that in all probability, it's not going to happen. Uh, but hey, like I said, there's a difference between what we believe and what we know. And we as rational human beings change what we believe as new information becomes to light. And if new information comes to light, we'll revisit the situation. Absolutely. But for now, uh, everything points to no uh, that we are going to see, um, uh, that we are going to see uh, Evan Peters come in. It, it, I mean, uh, as speci- specifically as Maximoff, and uh, we'll we'll see where that goes. All right, next up, uh, not Kevin Feige writes. John, you missed my question yesterday. I did. I apologize if I did. I'm sorry about that. Uh, it's okay. Favorite films of 2020. Number one, Sound of Ma- Oh no, no, no. We I remember this. We did. We we did cover it. Uh, actually, I think your question either got covered on yesterday's show or it might have been on the companion video the day before. But I remember this. We did. We did cover this. Uh, Sound of Metal, number two, Soul, number three, The Trial of the Chicago 7, number four, Tenet, number five, Sputnik, number six, uh, The Invisible Man, number seven, Emma, number eight, Borat, subsequent movie film, number nine, Mank, number 10, Wonder Woman 1984. Yes, I remember that specifically. I remember your list. We did cover it. Again, it, it may have been in yesterday's show or it may have been in the previous companion video we did, but we did get to it. We did get to it. I promise you we did. Uh, anyway, uh, Dr. Film writes, I've asked a question about creatively bad movies versus mediocre uh, movie question. And I meant to say committee driven, not comedy driven. Does this change your answer? Oh, dude, listen, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, since I can't remember the specific way, I remember the question vaguely. I think you asked, I think what you asked, if I'm not mistaken, was something along the lines of, would I prefer a mediocre but watchable comedy versus a bad something else? And basically what I said was, I will always take the watchable movie over the bad movie, regardless of genre. I will always take the watchable mediocre because mediocre means middle of the road, right? Like I'll, I'll always watch the watchable mediocre film over the bad film, regardless of that. Um, now, instead of saying comedy, you meant committee, but then again, I'd have to remember the specific wording of your original question, but I still stand by that basic premise. I will take the watchable mediocre movie over the bad movie all the time, every day, twice on Sunday, right? I will always take the watchable movie over the bad movie. That's just me. All right. Thanks for that. Dr. Phil, uh, Dr. Film. All right. Not Kevin Feige. Right. Sorry, John. I done goofed. You did. Oh, see, there we go. You did answer my question the other day. Just wanted to clear that up. But while I'm at it, uh, where the hell is the trailer for Mortal Kombat? Well, they just announced when Mortal Kombat is coming out. Hold on a second. Let me just uh, double check. Um, They finally did. uh, 
give a date for it, and I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. April 16th. Okay, so January, uh, so we're February, March, April. So we're about three and a half months away from Mortal Kombat. Uh, I, my guess would be probably within the next three weeks. I'm guessing probably in the next in the next three weeks we'll probably get our first thing. Listen, to me, as long as you're more than three months away from a movie, I don't think is the time to ask, where's the trailer? You know what I mean? I mean, you can start putting out a trailer from five months out, four months out, whatever. But until we get to within three months, I don't really worry about it. I don't think about it. Um, and I think that's going to be a trend that continues. I think we're going to see a trend in movies continue where movie studios and distributors realize more and more it's putting trailers out way far in advance does nothing for your movie. Any momentary bump and buzz you get dissipates and dies out quickly. So why not save all that till you get closer to your movie? I think you're going to see, and by the way, I think trailers today come out on a lot shorter of a window than they did just like three or four years ago. And I think that's going to be a trend that continues. I'm not saying every movie's not going to put out their trailers till it's only three months away. I'm not saying that, but I think you're going to see these windows tighten. So my guess is it's still three and a half months away. I would say, yeah, within the next three weeks, my guess will be we'll get a Mortal Kombat. And I'm curious to get our first visual taste of this movie, man. I am curious to get our first visual taste. All right. Uh, oh, my God. How am I going to pronounce this? Ventru Venturos Mind writes, hey, John, I know you love Man of Steel, as do I. However, I didn't at first. I hated the end scene when they destroyed the city with no acknowledgement. Uh, that really bothered me. Then Batman versus Superman happened. I loved Man of Steel afterwards. Am I the only one who thought this? Well, no, you're not the only one who didn't like the destruction in the city. For me, that was never an issue. That was never an issue. Superman saved the world. He saved all of humanity. What was at stake was that Zod just, he verbally committed to Superman. My entire reason for living now is to kill every single human being on earth. And General Zod can do that with his power. He, he's going to kill everybody on the planet. Superman, who had only really been Superman for like 48 hours, He'd only really started to realize what his potential was and just learned how to fly like 48 hours ago. He had to fight a lifelong trained, bred military soldier and had to stop him. And the result of trying to stop him meant like a couple of city blocks were destroyed. But it was either that or 6 billion people die and the human race becomes extinct. It's like, you know, you got a gunshot wound and you're going to die and they rush you into the hospital and the doctor saves you. But the way the doctor did the surgery, it's going to leave a scar right there. And you're like, how come I have a scar? Why do I have a scar? I don't want a scar there. That's not sexy when I take off my shirt on the beach. How dare the doctor leave a scar? Dude, the doctor just saved your life. You were going to die. You were bleeding out. They went in there, took a bullet out, fixed your, your body, and they made you live. It's a miracle of modern science. You're alive to enjoy the rest of your life. Yeah, but he left a scar. How am I supposed to get action with this stupid? It's not even a sexy scar. It's an ugly scar. How am I supposed to get 
any act. I don't, I don't know why the guy's talking like that. But <laughs> to me, that's always been the equivalent of when I hear people criticizing the fact that there was some collateral damage in Superman saving the world. Anyway, it's just me. But listen, uh, like you, dude, I have, while I loved Man of Steel from the first time I saw it, like I remember most, many of my viewers first found me during our very first Man of Steel review. I loved it from the first day that I saw it, but it is a movie that I appreciate more and more every time I see it. And I know John Schnepp was one of them. John Schnepp was a guy who, you know, the more he watched Man of Steel, he was like, like, God damn, this is really good. Like it is one of those movies that I believe the more you watch it, the more you appreciate it. Now, I don't, I don't know many people that hated it the first time they saw it and then now really appreciate it. I, I don't know many people in that camp, but you're not alone in that fact that your appreciation grew with it as uh, as we went along, and, and I'm certainly one of those. So anyway, thanks for sharing your thoughts, man. Um, let's see. Uh, where are we at? Unreal Shift writes, Max equals stone. Now all wishes are tied to him as the stone. Movies rules, destroy the stone or renounce wishes or civilization destroyed. Max renounces wish, so technically destroyed the stone and the magic of the stone makes everyone renounce their wishes magically. Sorry, but again, there's nothing. See, that's the one completely uh, out there thing. That's the only way people can try to make sense of this. And so I, I see where you're going there, but there is nothing in the movie. There was nothing in the movie that suggested Max renouncing his wish forced everybody else magically to renounce their wishes. Nothing in the movie suggests that. If it did, then it then it renders that whole speech that Wonder Woman gave to the world. You have to find the strength in yourself or whatever the word she used was. They make this big deal in the climax of the film of Diana speaking directly to the world because she says, I'm not talking to you, Max. Like, if Max renouncing his wish just automatically made everybody go, you know, oh, the... the I renounce my wish. If everybody on the planet just magically turned into robots, I renounce my wish, right? If that happened, then it completely neuters and nullifies the whole point of Wonder Woman even being there. Of that whole speech of Wonder Woman talking to the world because she was convincing the world to give up their wishes. And again, the movie made it clear Max renouncing his wish did not undo anything. Because he renounced his wish and nothing happened. Then it cuts, cuts to the president in obvious turmoil. And he goes, finally, I, I renounced my wish. And then the nukes disappear. And then we go to the oil lord in tears and crying, realizing what a mess things are in. And then he goes, I renounce my wish. And then the wall disappears. There is nothing in the movie to suggest, nor in any of the actions of the people, that Max renouncing his wish magically then took control of everybody on the planet's bodies where they're doing something and go, I renounce my wish. Like there's nothing in the movie that suggests that. And so we, like you and I, are left as fans to try to come up with things to make some logic out of this illogical mess that they created. So I like the fact that you're doing that. You're doing, you're trying to figure out a way to make these dots connect. The problem is none of us, including me, can come up with an explanation that doesn't directly contradict something that they said in the movie. And it's frustrating, Unreal. It's frustrating. Okay. Uh, okay, next up. Uh, John McKinney writes, 
Uh, I'm doing a fan rewrite of the prequels and sequel trilogy just for fun. You've written this in before. You wrote the same thing in before. We've already covered this. Uh, what title for episode three sounds better? Episode three, Follow the Jedi, or episode three, Rise of the Empire? Uh, I like both titles, but Rise of the Empire sounds cooler. What do you think? Yeah, you've sent this question in before, John. Just recently, we, we addressed this one on the show. Um, I'll say the same thing that I said before. It, it really doesn't matter. Uh, the titles mean nothing. Titles really... Uh, all they are is marketing tools. And I can't say whether Fall of the Jedi or Rise of the Empire is a better title for a movie that I have not seen or a better title for a, a, a fan script and fan fiction uh, that I haven't read. So uh, unless I've read the fan fiction, I can't possibly give an opinion as to what I think the better title for that particular fan fiction is, right? I just don't know. Only you can truly answer that. What I would say is don't lose any sleep over it because a title is really just a title, right? As long as it's not a completely ridiculous sounding thing, like Edge of Tomorrow sounds like a, a soap opera and misrepresents the movie. But uh, as long as it's not something really out there, it's really not going to make any difference. So I wouldn't lose any sleep over it. I would just keep your focus on the quality of your fan fiction, not on anything else. And, uh, and don't worry about the, the, the title. And only you can really know the answer to that because only you know your fan fiction. So whatever one suits best. All right, Wakandan Forever writes, this is an unfair question for us Wakandans to answer. We love Nakia. Our perspective is already uh, too influenced. I need another uh, perspective and opinion. John, which did you enjoy watching more? Queen, Queen of Kotwe or Queen's Gambit? Queen of Kotwe. I loved Queen of Kotwe. Um... That movie, it's it's one of those movies. I think it was also uh, David Oelowa was in that as well uh, with Lupita Nyong'o. And I, I remember walking out of that movie. It's just the type of movie that makes you love movies. If you haven't seen Queen of Cotway, it's based on a true story uh, and it involves this young chess prodigy girl. But it is one of the most feel-good, heartwarming. It's a movie about good people doing good things. And you know what? Every once in a while, we just need a movie like that. I really liked Queen's Gambit. I did very, very much. I'm not shading on Queen's Gambit. It's great. But Queen of Cotway was just inspirational. It's, it's invigorating. It makes your heart smile. And again, there's no villain in the film. It's just a movie about good people, a true story about good people doing good things. And, you know, that's, mm, that's what movies are for, man. I mean, sometimes movies are just meant to inspire us and tell the great stories of things that happen in our world because there's a lot of crap in our world. If you have not seen Queen of Cotway, definitely check it out. And uh, Lupita Nyong'o just proves again why she's one of the best on the planet right now. Uh, Ithorian Arboreal Hobbies writes, over under 50%, John Favreau enlists the Russo brothers to direct the Mandalorian crossover event. Uh, keep the filthy stuff coming. Under 50%. Under 50%. And there's a, there's a couple of reasons for that. I'm not saying zero. I'm not saying zero. But the main reason I'll go under 50% on that is because the Russo brothers right now are, are they're beyond just being guest directors on an episode, they are building their own production company. Agbo Productions uh, is what they are building right now. 
And that's the, the title they did. The Chadwick Boseman, I believe it's called 21 Bridges with, and they're doing some other films. I do not see them stepping away and they're trying to direct their own productions as well. Now I can't see them taking time out to go and spend a month or two focusing on developing and then being on in the, uh, at stagecraft and directing episodes of that they're just too busy at this point. So I would say over 5%, but I'll take way under 50. I just don't think it's likely. All right. Uh, Guillaume LaBelle writes, uh, hey, John, binge watched the third season of Cobra Kai last weekend. I loved it. As a Karate Kid fan, I feel like it's the best use of fan service outside of Star Wars. It doesn't feel jarring or random. It does serve a purpose and the whole narrative, no mercy. Yeah, my wife loves Cobra Kai. She binged season three as well. I was one of the most excited people in the world about Cobra Kai when it was coming. I thought it was such a great idea to revisit these characters later, but from the perspective of Johnny LaRusso. And I watched the first number of episodes and I just didn't get into it. It, it. I know a lot of people love Cobra Kai. I'm not crapping on it. I'm just saying I tried Cobra Kai when it came out and it just didn't work for me. My wife loves it. Uh, Kaori loves it. I know a lot of you guys love it. And my wife really enjoyed season three as well. It's just, it's just wasn't a show that worked for me. Not listen, not everything works for everybody, right? There are shows and movies that everybody loves that didn't work for you either. Cobra Kai is one of those ones for me. Cobra Kai is just unfortunately one of those ones for me. So, you know, is what it is. Okay. Next up, uh, Charles Broder writes, Steve Carell said that The Office wouldn't make it in today's climate. What movie is the first to come to your mind of something that would never get made today in today's climate? Mine was falling down, but it looks like Russell Crowe uh, just tried to. Um, and by the way, I think Steve Carell is wrong. I think The Office would work today. Handling the material the way The Office handled it, I think it would work today. I really do. Uh, that aside, the, whenever I think about movies that are great classic that would never work to, today is, um, uh, why am I freezing on the name of, hold a second. Uh, uh, uh the one that comes to mind for me is uh, Blazing Saddles. I almost said Once Upon a Time in the West. I'm like, that's not Once Upon a Time in the West. It's Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles for me is the one that when I think about it, I go, oh, that, that one could never happen today. That one could never happen today. That would never work today. <laughs> There's no way they could get away with making that today. But uh, yeah, that's the one that comes to mind for me. All right, next up, Casey McNatt writes, Hey, John, I just wanted to know, what are your thoughts about the new realignment of the NHL this season? I find it pretty weird that all Canadian teams are in the same division this year. It's going to be weird and exciting to see how it plays out. Yeah, I listen, I'm not a fan. I am not a fan. Now, don't get me wrong. Whenever you do these types of, of alignments, it, you, you have the hopes that it creates more interesting games with, with audience interest and fan interest and engagement, and, and maybe it creates new rivalries. Maybe it sparks old rivalries. Um, I haven't looked at the schedule, but you know, if we can get more games per year that have the Leafs versus the Canadians, that's great. So who knows? Ask me again in five months. Maybe I'll love it. Right now, it's, I don't like that type. I don't like realignment stuff. I, I'm just not a big fan. But again, ask me again in five months and we'll see where we're at then. All right, James Ward writes, 
Uh, what are the changes on HBO Max being suddenly cheaper? Uh, maybe scratch five bucks off the monthly price tag. If they want to draw more subscribers, make it cheap first and then take all of our money. Nah, listen, I'll be honest with you. At the end of the day, 15 bucks. And by the way, Disney Plus is not going to stay at $8 a month. Don't think that for a second. Disney Plus is not staying at eight bucks a month. Disney Plus is going to go up in price. You, you like bet bet your life on it. Disney Plus is going to go up in price. They're all going to go up in price. At the end of the day, when you consider what you get for that fifteen bucks a month, fifteen bucks a month. I mean, I people spend more on a beer when they go to the bar or a drink when they go to the club. Like people spend more than that on one drink when they go out. You spent more on that when you and your buddy went to McDonald's the other night. You spent more than 15 bucks. What you get with HBO for $15 a month or $16 a month or whatever uh, is a ridiculous value. It's a ridiculous value. And I, I, I just, that's not the, that's not the thing holding HBO max back. Are there some people who think, Hey, this is $10 and that's 15, 15 is a little much for me. Yeah. I believe there are some, but I, do I believe that's the factor? No. Do I think if they suddenly dropped HBO max from $15 a month to $12 a month, that that would create this big influx of new subscribers? No, I really don't, but it is crazy how we look at these things and how we evaluate value. You know what I mean? Cause, cause to me, listen, I, again, there are cheaper options, but when you look at the content, when you look at what you get with HBO max, $15 a month is nothing. It's, it's really nothing. And I, I honestly don't think for some people. Yes. Uh, we are all budget conscious. We all have to be aware, but, you understand like someone who smokes, you spend more than that on a pack of cigarettes, right? I, I just think it is 15 bucks for HBO max is a very, very good value. When you look at what, when you take into account what it is you're getting, it is an incredibly good value, but Disney does it better. Yeah. But Disney purposefully came out undercutting everybody's prices. You know why? Cause Disney has all the money in the world and they can take a few years of losses. But you you mark my words. We're going to be talking a couple of years from now. That price is going to go up. This is all introductory price nonsense. But it's again, I think the value you get for HBO Max is pretty impressive. Anyway, thanks for writing that in, James. Uh, next up, Scott K writes, uh, I want to see Star Wars content be taken to new eras with great fantasy elements like the Force, noble houses and knights, all set in an epic sci-fi galactic conflict with large-scale battles and super weapons galore. What general themes do you want to see? Well, again, I don't care about general themes. I care about just good stories. Just tell me some good stories. And listen, we are getting a new... By the way, I started... Uh, I got the audiobook yesterday of the new... Star Wars, The High Republic. There, there's a four book series that just came out. I just got book one and I got through the first couple of chapters yesterday. I, I'm enjoying it so far. But anyway, we are now entering into an era in Star Wars where we are going to get new eras. 
be it, you know, we're starting with High Republic. Rogue Squadron is going to take place in a future thing past the Rise of Skywalker, which is interesting. I believe Old Republic is on the table. I think we're going to get Old Republic stuff here pretty soon. And uh, I think we're going to get a lot of those elements. But again, at the end of the day, it's not about what elements do I want to see them use. Honestly, I don't care if a Star Wars movie has Jedi in it or not. All I care about is a great movie. If you make a great movie and it's got Jedi in it, awesome. If you make a great movie in it and it doesn't have Jedi in it, awesome. Whatever. Just give me a great movie. Um, I mean, I love seeing Jedi. I do. But putting Jedi in a bad movie doesn't make the movie any better. You know what I mean? So I'm just, I just want to see them make good stuff, man. But we are going to finally see them start exploring new eras. And that's key and that's important. And I'm very, very glad they're doing that. All right. Uh, let's move on here. That was Scott K. Ryan Loner writes, here's an idea. I'm 100% sure not one person has ever had before. Make Killmonger the new Black Panther. Yeah, I never heard that before. All you need to redeem him is someone saying Martha. I mean, Ben. I mean, Eric. Yeah, there you go. No, we've we've obviously gone over, over the ridiculousness of the idea of having Killmonger as the new Black Panther. And that's, that is a ludicrous idea. Uh, but I mean, hey, I was all for the idea of getting Michael B. Jordan to just turn to the audience and say, hey, Michael B. Jordan is now T'Challa. We know he was Killmonger, but he's now T'Challa. I actually think there would have been something very poetic about that. But uh, yeah, that's just my thought. Thanks for that, Ryan. All right, Deuce Wing writes, one of three. Greetings and salutations, John. Congrats on the new crib. Thank you so much. And welcome to the Riv. Uh, that's Riverside for all of you guys who don't know. Riverside, California. Uh, been a fan since the early AMC days. I just want to say thank you for the entertainment you provide day in and day out for us, especially during these times. I re- and thank you for that, man. I appreciate that. I recently saw Blade Runner 2049, and my God, it's one of the most stunning sci-fi movies ever made, in my opinion. Can't wait to see what he does with Dune. Visually, the trailer already looked amazing. Nolan is my favorite director, but it feels like Denis Villeneuve is gearing up to have a, a similar career path with both big-budget spectacle properties and smaller stories on his stat sheet. Curious to hear your thoughts on this. Listen, Denis Villeneuve, good Canadian kid. He is maybe the most exciting director in Hollywood right now. Um, His filmography is mind blowing. When you look at what he's done with his, with his movies, Uh, his, his stuff is absolutely mind blowing. Um, It's great. It's, it's the type of depth and character stuff that you want to see in Hollywood film. It's just, it's so next level. And to see what he's brought, I mean, Blade Runner 2049, that was, that was a brutally, one of the worst marketing campaigns in in history. They totally dropped the ball with it. They never told the audience what the movie was about. And they just expected, you should just feel grateful to come to see a Blade Runner movie. Excuse me. What's this movie about? You never mind what this movie's about. You just come and see it. And, and, and it, Blew it, but whatever. But Denis Villeneuve made a masterpiece of a movie with that. As he did with just about every other movie he's made. And now he's doing Dune. And I am obviously a little biased because he's a good Canadian kid. So all hail the good Canadian kid. But no, the, the guy is absolutely ridiculously talented. I cannot wait to see this movie. And yes, like I'm not going to, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. I'm not saying he's the next... Spielberg or Scorsese or Kubrick. I'm not saying he's up on the Mount Rushmore of directors or anything yet. 
But I am saying, when you look around the industry today, if you need to try to pick out one or two directors who has the potential to get to that level, Denis Villeneuve is one of those guys. <clears throat> 15 years from now, we could be talking about Denis Villeneuve being on the Mount Rushmore of directors. I'm not saying he's there. I'm just saying he's got that potential and not everybody does. Anyway, thanks for writing that in, Deuce. All right. Uh, bro, bro, Thatrian writes, Happy New Year, John. Thank you so much. And friends, you ever watch fan films, Star Wars, uh, Aliens, etc., and say to yourself, studios need to grab these directors and writers for the next films. Have a great day and congratulations on your film. Never once. Never once. Now, don't get me wrong. I've seen fan films and really loved them for what they are. I've seen some fan films and totally love the fan films for what they are. But no, I've, I've never seen a fan film ever and thought that was absolute Hollywood cinematic quality. I've never thought that. And I say that as a fan filmmaker, you know, my, the very first thing I ever made was a fan film. I won some awards with this little fan film me and my friends made called uh, rise of the Trudies. It was a cross between the Phantom Menace and, um, and the Godfather. We call it rise of the Trudies. But so as somebody who really appreciates, you know, uh, great fan films, no, I've never seen a fan film and thought that person. Now, listen, there are people who have made fan films who really do have that kind of talent, but I've never thought as a result of watching a fan film thinking this guy's got to make them for the student. No, I've never thought that. Never thought that once. Now, you, then you get a guy like a friend of mine, Kevin Rubio, who makes probably the greatest fan film of all time in, in troops. Uh, he is a guy who happens to have the actual chops to be in the industry and all that kind of stuff. But uh, even though troops is my all time favorite fan film, I never looked at troops and thought because of just of troops and gone, this guy should be making Hollywood movies. Like I never thought that greatest fan film of all time. And he does have the chops to make Hollywood movies, but uh, yeah, no, never thought that, but I am a big fan of fan films. I, I do appreciate a good fan film. I really do. One of the, one of the ones that I saw this past year that I really liked, did you guys see that gambit one? Somebody made like a really good gambit fan film, live action gambit fan film. It was actually really quite, Eric Roberts was in it too, as the bad guy. They got like a Hollywood star, Eric Roberts to be in. It's really, really fun. You should check it out if you haven't had a chance. Um, let's see here. I am. Okay. Let's keep going here. Next up. Uh, Orange hand writes, uh, the third, his dark materials book has creatures has creatures that fans have wondered how they could possibly be adapted to the screen, which makes me more excited for season three. Are there uh, any literary concepts you thought would be difficult to translate to visual film medium? Well, I mean, yeah, lots over the years. I mean, for the longest time, how on earth do you do Lord of the Rings? I mean, really, other than in some animated thing, how do you actually do Lord of the Rings? Now, in the modern context, that's thing, but but still, like I think about the, the literary stuff to me that is more difficult to translate to the screen now has more now to do with narrative than with visual effects. Visual effects today can do anything. You can do anything today with visual effects. Now, the stuff that I think of literary that I think, how do you translate that to the big screen uh, has more to do with the narrative elements. Like, uh, sticking with Lord of the Rings, uh, 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 Cimmer, I was Cimmerillion. Like, 
I've always, how on earth do you actually do that? That would be extremely difficult narratively because it's, it's, it's challenging just to follow along as a page turner, like let alone on screen, it would be difficult. So, um, yeah, but, but as far as visual creatures, monsters, visual elements, there's nothing today they can't do nothing today they can't do. So yeah, just something for, uh, just, just kind of my thought on that orange hand. All right, next up, uh, we've got, uh, that was orange hand. Now we're at Caleb and Caleb writes, uh, most anticipated 2021 honorable mention last night in Soho spoke about that a little bit earlier. Uh, father matrix four. Again, I wish I could get excited about matrix four. I'm just not, uh, little things, infinite, uh, 10 reminiscence, nine, uh, 3000 years of longing, eight top gun, uh, seven mission impossible, seven, six Judas black Messiah. That looks really good too. Actually. Number five, many saints of Newark. That's the, um, Sopranos prequel, uh, four suicide squad, three, those who wish me dead Two. no time to die. Number one, Dune again. I, I've got to keep Dune at the top of my list. I have got to keep Dune at the top of my list. I, we were just talking about, uh, Denis Villeneuve, uh, super like just what he's been able to do is absolutely remarkable and incredible. Cannot wait to see uh, what he does uh, next. And anyway, guys, there is more to come, but we have gone well over our two-hour limit. Uh, Do not worry. For everybody else who sent in a question that we haven't gotten around to yet, do not worry. We'll start off tomorrow's show, and we will start off with your questions, and we'll get through your questions first. Anyway, guys, that will do it. For today's installment of the John Campion Show, thank you so much for being here and making this show a part of your day. Thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett for bringing his glory and greatness to the show. Thank you to all of you for making this show part of your day. And a special thank you to all of you guys who sent in those live comments and questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel while you did it. And all of us here, thank you guys very, very much. Uh, for that. Don't forget, guys, the John Campus Show returns again tomorrow. We hope to see you back here for that. And remember, guys, please do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.